This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. A Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Eddings producing today's show. You out there. A little chilly out there today. Burr. After the last couple of days, the NBA playoffs have been very chilly, very burr, if you will. Celtics just blow the doors off the heat last night. Series is tied 2-2. Shifts back to Miami. We'll have that game for you tomorrow night. 2-2. Miami back at home. I mean, every time you watch Boston play, you have to feel like they're the better team when you see the two teams. But then you realize, well, Miami doesn't have Hero last night. You've got Jimmy Butler playing kind of, you know, basically not playing last night. I mean, he didn't look like himself last night. He had nothing to give in that game last night. That series is such a tough one right now to kind of comprehend. But overall... Uh, it looks like Boston, you know, has been the better team. And Boston has been the better team almost in every single aspect of it, except for the fact that the series is 2-2. You know, I think they were talking the other day on Greeny's show, like, or maybe it was Barton Hahn, about the old CBA where you used to get a point in the standings if you won a quarter. You remember that back in the day? The old Continental Basketball Association, so if you won... The game, you got to win. But if you won a quarter, you got another point. And that was kind of like how they kept the standings. So if you actually won three of the four quarters, you actually got something for winning the quarter. Well, right now, the Celtics are just whipping the heat in every single quarter. Last night after one, it was 29-11. And they just never looked back in the game. They just never absolutely gave up. Any window that the Miami Heat were going to get back in that game last night. And you see again, the big number for me, Jimmy Butler, 3 of 14. He just added nothing to them offensively last night. And how did they win? Well, they had no hero, who's a big part of their offense. But the secondary players for them really did not provide much at all. The guys who really hurt. Think about Max Struess in the series against Philadelphia. He played 15 minutes last night, didn't hit a shot. He had zero points. He was a minus 33. Think about these guys in the Sixers series. P.J. Tucker, minus 30. Jimmy Butler, minus 30. Kyle Lowry, who did not play well in the Sixers series. He was a minus 27. Bam Adebayo had nine points last night. I mean, Oladipo played 30 minutes and had 23 points. He was the one guy that kind of showed up for them. Duncan Robinson, who barely played at all in the Sixers series, he shot 50% from three last night, but meaningless minutes. And then when the Celtics seemingly win these games, Jason Tatum, and nobody's arguing that Jason Tatum's not a star, but it's been inconsistent, that's for sure. It wasn't last night. Although, 31 points, he got 14 of them from the line. He was one of seven from three-point range. If they ended up losing that game, 
you might look back and say Tatum didn't shoot the ball all that well. He did a lot of other things well in the game last night. You know, Boston didn't play a great game last night. The Heat were that bad. Like, no joke, the Celtics controlled the game. They led by 32. And you would think, man, they're just shooting the lights out. Not really. The Heat were that bad. Boston is now 5-0 and in the postseason following a loss. So they continue that trend. And when they lose the game, they come back and win. They're outscoring their opponents by about 18 points per game. So they're obviously, they're losing, they're figuring it out, they're making the adjustment, and they're coming back. But they didn't shoot it all that well last night. And that's an encouraging thing. You know, Miami actually shot almost 40% from three-point range last night. Think about that. How many times does a team shoot almost 40%? And you're like, well, if you shoot 40%, you're going to win the game. A lot of those are late in that game. Miami scored 30 points in the fourth quarter to make it somewhat respectable. But Boston last night, we talk about they didn't play a great game. Man, oh, man, they couldn't hit anything. They were 8 of 34, but they got to the line nearly 40 times last night. They shot 85% from the line. Big difference in the game. That's where Tatum really, he took the pace, he took the control, he kind of controlled the narrative of the style of the game last night. It was going to kind of be a bare-knuckle fight. And the Heat are usually up for a bare-knuckle fight. They weren't last night. So the Celtics tie the series at 2-2. There's so many interesting tidbits in there. You know, the game last night, the Celtics now have four 20-point wins in the postseason. That is tied for the most in a single postseason in franchise history. You think about the Celtics' history and all the blowouts. Somebody texted into the show last week and asked about why has there been so many blowouts in the NBA playoffs. These playoffs have been terrible in terms of good games. And last night, you can't sit here and say, well, the three-point shot, because the Heat shot almost 40% from three-point range. And the Celtics were just brutal shooting the ball last night. But Jason Tatum, as we mentioned, he kind of controlled the style and the way that game played. He gets a lot of credit from me for the game that he played last night. Now, he takes his game to another level following a loss. He's averaging almost 33 points in those games. He's got to keep that up, though, in the games that they're losing because he hasn't played well in their losses. That has been one of the issues. But right now, Jason Tatum has 408 points in the postseason. It's the second most by a Celtics player through 15 games ever. Larry Bird, 419. So Tatum is playing at a Larry Bird-esque level in these playoffs. And just think about some of the stinkers he's had in terms of total points. But I thought where he really helped them last night, you know, I talk about the Celtics, he shot one of seven. The Celtics didn't shoot the ball well last night. I thought Tatum was a big factor on the other end of the floor. You know, when Miami, you look back, they only scored 82 points last night. And Jason Tatum was all over the place. The Heat did not make a basket. 0 for 9 when Tatum was defending. They were 0 for 5. 
when he contested a shot. So anytime he got a hand up, he was a problem. And on Jimmy Butler, Butler did not score at all last night when Tatum was the defender. And when Tatum defended him in this series, it's been a problem for Butler. He's 4 of 12 in the series with Jason Tatum. Tatum's becoming a guy that is slowly becoming a two-way player right now. And it's kind of evolving in this series right here. But think about this. Miami's starting lineup last night scored 18 points in the game. How the hell is that possible? They scored 18 points collectively last night. Tucker, zero. Butler, six. Bam, nine. Lowry, three. Struess is nothing. Zero burger. I mean, that guy killed the Sixers. He played 15 minutes last night, was 0 of 7 from the field. He didn't record another stat. He had three fouls. I mean, talk about a tale of two series for Max Struess last night and in this series against the, the Celtics as opposed to the series against the Sixers. Their starting lineup, I'll repeat, scored 18 points last night. Can't win a game on the road like that. It was almost as if the Heat said, all right, we got our game in Boston. Let's go home. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, hey, we went out in South Beach and hung out and enjoyed the town. I mean, it's not like Boston's a boring place to go, but geez, did you live it up in Boston the night before or what? My God, did the, the Red Sox play at home? Did you go around uh, Fenway Park? The Heat's best performer last night, Victor Oladipo, played 30 minutes. He had 23 in the game. He outscored the entire starting lineup. Oladipo by himself. Oh, my gosh. Um, it has been a weird series. We talked about it's been a good series. Why? Not because the games have been good, because it has been so hard to get a read on the series. The Celtics clearly look like the better team, yet we're tied up at two going back to Miami. The Celtics have won most of the quarters in this game, yet we're tied at two going back to Miami. There have been four lead changes. That's it in the entire series. There's been four lead changes in the series. I mean, you have lead changes by accident. You know, somebody scores two, you're tied at two, four, four, you know, six, four, back. I mean... There's only been four. It's the fewest lead changes through any series, four games in 25 years. You're going back to when, I guess, Jason Kidd, Kenyon Martin, that Jersey Nets team, you know. The Heat won wire-to-wire in game three on Saturday night. The Celtics came back. They win wire-to-wire in game four. That hasn't happened in the playoffs since 2009. So we're looking at a weird series here, guys. This is the 22nd game this postseason that has been decided by 20 points or more. Whoever had that text message last week about all the blowouts, it just keeps expanding. Teams to win game five. When the series is 2-2, they win 81% of the time. We're going back to Miami. We'll see what happens. 609 
403-0973 on the text board. 609-403-0973. That's the text board. Heat Celtics last night. I, I mean, we talk about the Sixers and the series against Miami. And you're saying... What would have happened had Embiid not had the broken face and the torn ligament in his thumb? And people say, well, I don't want to hear the excuse. He's always hurt. You're now asking the question in this series. What would happen if Jimmy Butler is not the guy that we're seeing right now? He's clearly not himself, right? And I don't hear anybody questioning Jimmy Butler. I don't hear anybody saying, well, it's not fair to question Jimmy Butler or the Heat right now. He's got a knee problem. Well, he's out there playing 27 minutes last night, and he played terrible. Butler did not play well last night. Let's call it what it is. He did not play well last night. Quite frankly, it looked like Jimmy Butler was enjoying Boston a little too much the night before. Did it not? Uh, You're saying no, not really? Look, he's injured. Well, that's what I'm saying. But that's but my he point. He didn't look like... I'm not saying he looked like he, he was out on the like town. He didn't look like he was mentally disengaged, No, though. but my point is... He didn't have a hardened look on his face. My point is this. He can't be the same player that you need him to be because he has something that's slowing him. Sure. Same with Joel Embiid. People are like, well, the Sixers, they come up short, blah, blah. Joel Embiid had a broken face and a torn ligament in his thumb. And people want to say, well, you're out there. You got to play. You got to give me your best. You got to do better. Well, Jimmy Butler doesn't score six points in a game. I'm sorry. When do you see Jimmy Butler score six in a meaningful game? It's more than fair to criticize him for that. I don't disagree with that at all. I just, I think the idea that we we have a, we have a very dual standard when it comes to these things. It's if the guy plays for your team, he's a bum, he sucks, he's lazy, he's not giving effort. But when another guy does it, there's a million excuses for it. So I think that's the bigger problem. The problem isn't what Jimmy did or didn't do last night. The problem is the perception is it's okay for Jimmy to do it because he's not wearing your uniform. Well, right. When he's That's the thing. When your team is playing against Jimmy, a guy that most Sixers fans like and wish was still a part of our team. Correct. You criticize Joel Embiid for not playing well enough. Right. Well, now Jimmy's not playing all that great. And it's not because Jimmy stinks. It's not because this, that, or the other. It's clear that Jimmy's not Jimmy right now. Correct. And don't call him James Butler because that's not his name. Right. (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) That was James Butler last night. He was the adult in the room. Right. No, my name is Jimmy. That's what he says on my birth certificate. Right. Uh, Brett Brown called him James <laughs> Butler the, in the series against, forget, it might have been Toronto. I think it was Toronto, actually. But, you know, when I'm looking back at this and you say, well, he got six points from Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero didn't play. So, Jimmy, I need more from you. He didn't have it to give. No, he didn't. He did not have it to give. Now, But, but the rest of the team's got to do a little more as well. O- outside of Oladipo, almost nobody else did anything. scored 18 points. Night. The starting lineup scored 18 points. I know. But what I'm saying is that they that's unacceptable. Well, Bam Adebayo, who's an all-star, by the way, right? Bam is getting exposed royally. Well, he had 31 points in one game. He scores, what, four last? I don't know what it was. Last night... 
he went out there and got ragdolled by Robert Williams and Grant Williams. Because basically, but what Boston did last night is they said, all right, the Heat want to get physical with us. We'll get physical with them and let's see what happens. We're going to get in their face. We're going to have to get open. Basically, Bam tried to kept doing this thing where he kept trying to go to the high post, get a screen, and roll down for a dunk. And every time he'd roll down, Grant Williams and Robert Williams there with the two forearms just bumping into his chest. And you know what? That's a bad game plan with Butler and Hero both not up to par because nobody's out on the perimeter and caring about anybody, any one of your shooters. Exactly. So for that to be... Eric Spolster's game plan. I'm sorry. I think that was that should probably be questioned. Well, and that's why I said this is going to be a series of adjustments. Now watch Miami go back home with my go down to Florida, the Heat, and they'll go down there and they're going to beat the snot out of the Celtics in the next game because that's the way this series is going. So are we giving Jimmy Butler a pass in this series because he's not a hundred percent? Do we look at this and say, well, this series might be different right now if Butler was healthy? I think we have to give him a hard time, and we have to admit that the series would be different if he was healthy. Uh, this is what Kendrick Perkins said. Uh, this was on KJM this morning here on 97.3 ESPN. Pathetic. And I, and I say pathetic because that half-court offense is just so horrible, right? If, like, if the Miami Heat not turning turning you over and getting out in transition and getting deflections and things to that nature, they do not get easy baskets. The Celtics shot 39% from the field, 23% from three. Jalen Brown was 5 for 20, Mm. and the Celtics won by 20 points last night. That just tells you how bad offensively the Miami Heat are, and they have for a sense. And so the Celtics, they took care of the basketball, they took they took care of the rebounding, and all of a sudden, when you take away the, those things where the Miami Heat can't jump up the game, they're going to struggle offensively. So there's a lot there, okay? He talked about how bad the Celtics were offensively last night and still won by 20. Correct. Now, I got a text message here uh, listening on the free mobile app. You can listen on the app and message us through the app on your phone. That says watching these two teams and their depth really makes the Sixers situation look very bad. What the hell kind of depth did the Heat show last night? If anything, it shows that you might be feeling better about the Sixers. Why? Because if I had a healthy Joel and B, that series may have been different. Because look how different things look for the Heat when their main guy is not healthy. Yes, I understand where the guy's coming from, but the problem with that comment on the what was it the app the nine seven three ESPN yeah Danuch is listening on the app uh, in app seeking the problem with Danuch's comment is that he's taking it in a one game sample size instead of the entire postseason. The Miami Heat got to this point for a variety of reasons. One of them, yeah, as you mentioned, yes, Mike is. Joel Embiid was playing with a broken face and a, a jacked-up thumb. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. But the other part of it is what Perkins said. When the Miami Heat can muck it up and make it a scrappy, dirty game, they're going to probably win those games. They talked about on the Low Post podcast I listened to this morning, Tim Bontem said that in the two losses the Celtics have in this series, 
They had 39 turnovers in two games. In the two wins they have, they have 18 turnovers. It's very obvious for two defensive-minded teams that when the one team can exert their physicality on the other, they're going to win. And last night, Boston punched Miami in the mouth. How Miami couldn't respond because the only guy who did anything last night was Victor Oladipo. Well, and that's why that his comment, which I overall think is accurate. The depth of the Heat was a problem for the in the Sixers series. Correct. Didn't do anything from last night. Their depth was a non-factor because their best player, like uh, James, like um, well, we even know about James Harden. We don't know whether he's hurt, not hurt, or what. He's hurt. But the Sixers' main offensive weapon, Joel Embiid, was clearly not a hundred percent. Correct. And now we're in a series where the Heat do have good depth. You lose Hero. Okay, where's my depth? I have Jimmy Butler. Well, he's not 100%. So guess what? Now all of a sudden your team struggles to score. Your team doesn't look worthy of even being in this spot right now. It's kind of crazy how that happens when your best player suffers an injury. It's unfortunate, but it does play a role. And I think it's clear from watching that Sixers series, if Joel Embiid was 100%, I don't know if they win the series, but I don't think they get knocked out going away with a whimper in six games. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app like Danuch did, and you can message us through the app on your phone. Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com. Get the latest on all the Sixers, Phillies, Eagles, and the Flyers, by the way, what are they going to do with their coaching search? Going to be Barry Trotz or John Tortorella. Heard his name coming up today, actually. Hockey playoffs, Claude Giroux swept out. His season is done. Sports Bash brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. All right, your text message is 609 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. little read and react. Where are the Eagles in Peter King's NFL power rankings? You might be surprised at what he thinks of the birds. Wait till you hear where he has them. I got that coming up next. Now, back to the sports SPN. Good day, sunshine. Good day, sunshine. 227 Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We're going to talk a little tears in the teams later on with Adam Kaplan for football at four today. Uh, Peter King over at NBC Sports, he put out his uh, power rankings on like the post-draft, post-free agency. This is OTA season now. So everybody's kind of in the OTA season. So Peter King put out his uh, power rankings for the post-off season and into uh, the OTA season. So where did the Eagles land on that list? You might be pretty surprised with this answer, man. Where do you think? What's a number? 
You're going top five, top 10, top 15, top 20. I'll give you those. They're not in the bottom 20. I mean, based on your teasing description, I'm assuming it's top 10. I could I could be surprised at how little he thinks of them. Well, you said it's not bottom 20. Okay. Well, it could be 19. It could. I don't know. I haven't seen the list. That's what I'm asking. I'm going to go top 10. All right. So I'll start at 20 up. By the way, he has Detroit at number 20. So Detroit he has in the improvement category. Ahead of Indianapolis. Well, I see that because Indy did. Indy kind of starting to get a little long the tooth with some of their positions. I feel like a lot of people like the Colts this year, though. Maybe he says they're too old. So the bottom 20 are Detroit 20, Colts 21, Arizona 22, Pittsburgh 23, the Giants 24, Seattle 25, Commanders 26, the Jets 27, Chicago 28, Jacksonville 29, Atlanta 30, Carolina 31, and Houston 32. So they are bottom half of the league. Not half. I mean, I didn't start right in the middle, but from 20 down. These are your top 20. 20, Detroit. 19, Minnesota. 18, Cleveland. 17, New England. 16, Miami. 15, Dallas. So I've already read off Washington, New York, and now Dallas in the NFC East. So what does that tell you there? That he thinks the Eagles are going to win the division. Okay, that's number one on this exercise. So Dallas is 15 in the power rankings. Number 14, Denver. Russell Wilson factor. Is that a little low? I think it's about right. I think that there's an assumption that, you know, Denver was the, the, the word was, well, if Denver could get a quarterback, they could be a contender. Are they wrong? Well, the thing is, they got the quarterback, but the problem is they didn't do much else with the roster this offseason. <laughs> uh, Vegas, 13. So they got Vegas ahead of Denver. That's fair. I think, I wow. think, I think uh, Vegas did more to this offseason. Okay. You know, listen. I understand that Russell Wilson with the big splash. When was the last time the Raiders had a number one receiver? It was Amari Cooper, right? Devontae Adams, the first time Derek Carr's had a legit number one receiver in what, five years? Four years? Yeah. By the way, for Dallas, he wrote, the Cowboys do lead the league in drama most years. The Raiders have eclipsed them in the past 12 months, but Dallas will be in the distraction ball game soon somehow. Last year, it was clock management as the Dallas season ended with Dak Prescott trying to get one more playoff, scrambling with no timeouts against the Niners. Two weeks of uh, recriminations about Mike McCarthy's clock management and Prescott's game management followed. I picked the Eagles ahead of Dallas because the Eagles got significantly better this offseason and Dallas got worse with the subtraction of two key contributors, Amari Cooper and Randy Gregory, and the addition of mm, none. Oh, and the two best pieces of protection for Prescott tackle Tyron Smith and guard Zach Martin both turned 32 this season and have missed 26 games combined due to injury the last two years. 
On their best day, the Cowboys can play with anyone except maybe Buffalo. Problem is, they don't have enough best days. All right? So Dallas 15, Denver 14. Vegas 13. Tennessee 12. New Orleans 11. A lot of people think the Saints going to struggle this year. Peter King says not so fast. I think it's a little high. I I think that he's betting on that defense a little more than I would. Okay. Number 10. San Francisco. All right. Interesting. A little high, but all right. Number nine, Philadelphia. He says, I see the Eagles as the best team in the East. I see Jalen Hurts doing enough to be a C-plus quarterback with the addition of A.J. Brown. I see the receiving core of Brown, Smith, Watkins, Pascal being good enough to make the Eagles a top-10 offense. I see Reddick returning to the scene of his prime. He played college football at Temple. And James Bradbury fortifying a corner depth chart to make this the best defense in the NFC East. Interesting. He mentions what I like about the Eagles and what they've done is they've created a team with legitimate chance of winning now with a legitimate chance to make a judgment on Jalen Hurts as the future. Jalen, excuse me, Howie Roseman has done it while still retaining enough pieces for the future to address the quarterback position if he needs to in 2023. Roseman has three picks in the first two rounds next year and three picks in the first two rounds of 2024. He's done his job. He's built a team for 2022, and he's built a team that can do a U-turn in 2023 if need be. He mentions they're better on both sides of the ball and yada, yada, yada. So keep this in mind now. They're number nine. Number eight, Baltimore. Number seven is Cincinnati. Number six is Tampa Bay. Number five, Green Bay. Number four, the Rams. Number three, Kansas City. Number two, the Chargers. You made a face on that one. Yeah, that's a little... The Chargers got a lot to prove to be the number two power-ranked team. He says the two teams that attack their needs better than any team this offseason, the Chargers and, and the Eagles... And that's why they're both in my top ten. I agree. The difference is the Eagles actually made the postseason last year, and the Chargers choked their way out. No, they're both nine and eight. But one team found a way to get in. The other team couldn't get the job done the final week of the season. Number one, Buffalo. So I tell you to remember the Eagles at nine because in front of them was only three other NFC conference foes. Mm-hmm. The Rams at four. Green Bay at five, and Tampa Bay at six. Philadelphia would be the fourth highest rate ranked team in his power rankings. You see it the same way. I don't know if I put them at nine, but I definitely think that they should be ahead of the other three NFC East teams. I just think that they did more this offseason, like King says, to improve their team. Cowboys got worse. They didn't replace their needs. Washington got marginally better and then the Giants their roster didn't get better but their coaching and front office got better what about uh, San Francisco 
Uh, He's got him ahead of San Fran, New Orleans. I put San Fran probably ahead of the Eagles right now. I think the Eagles should be ahead of New Orleans. I have a lot of questions about New Orleans' offense. Jameis Winston's coming off an injury. Remember, they were all in trying to get Deshaun Watson. They didn't get him. There's uh, there's some questions there, New Orleans. If you go by this, the playoff teams would be the Rams, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Philadelphia. They would be your four division winners. And then your three wild cards would be San Francisco, New Orleans, and Dallas. They would be your three wild card teams. Because the next highest NFC team goes from 15 all the way down to 19 where Minnesota is. I think Minnesota is a little low in that situation. Yeah. I would consider, you know, maybe if I had maybe a little more time to chew on this, but there might be a possibility I would swap New Orleans and Minnesota. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I think that we talked a little bit about how everybody is seemingly high on the Eagles all of a sudden. Right. You know, for a team that was kind of under the radar, and oh, they made a couple of nice moves. It's almost like Howie Roseman went from zero to 60, right? He's the most hated guy ever. I haven't seen a lot of people being critical of Howie. What happened out there? They got scared. They got quiet. They got embarrassed of themselves in the mirror. Maybe. I don't know. But all of a sudden, they're a top 10 team in the league. But I do think that they are above the teams that they were ranked ahead of. It just, I didn't look at the AFC teams as close. Let's see. Um, going Philadelphia or Tennessee, Vegas, Denver. They beat Denver last year. They lost to Vegas last year. I would say Vegas is better. I don't think, I think them and Tennessee are very even. Similar, where they have questions at quarterback, but although gave up AJ Brown, they replaced him with Burks. You got Henry, you've got Sanders. Question there. Your thoughts on the power rankings? Send them in 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, Frank has this week's Phillies mailbag. Phillies won last night on the road in Atlanta. Got a little dicey there at the end, but they were able to hold on and win the game. Connor Brogdon got out of a little bit of a pickle late in the game. We'll have that with Frank. He's got the Phillies mailbag coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, Phillies win last night. They beat the Braves. I'll tell you later on why this series is pretty important. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Let's go to the Phillies mailbag after a Phillies win last night. We got questions, questions, questions from the Phillies fans out there. Frank Close is here to answer them. And he joins me right now on another edition of the Phillies Mailbag here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. As Frank joins me here, what's going on, bud? Not much. How are you, Mike? All is good. Uh, long game last night. My God, that thing got done around 11 o'clock. Uh, Connor Brogdon. I felt like, um, well, they got they did get Knievel out, right? He, he actually started to get up he in pitched. that game. 
He pitched. Oh, that's right. He came in last night. No, he was warming <laughs> yeah. up. He was warming up, and Brogdon got out of that inning. That's right. I thought they were going to bring him in in the eighth He was inning. warming up when Brogdon did get out of that inning. But with, by the way, with the 96-mile-an-hour pitch, so that's kind of a good sign on Brogdon. It's not the best thing in the whole world uh, that, that he's still scuffling a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, but Knebel did get the last that's three right. outs. You're right. No, you're right, because they showed him warming up in the eighth, and you're right, because um, Brogdon got out of the eighth. He, he struck the guy out on the 96. And the way he walked off the field, I mean, the guy looks like he's got, like, so unsure of himself. Very possible. I mean, his velocity was way down in spring training. The Phillies had to option him to the minor leagues, and he's kind of fighting for his major league life. But I will say that 96-mile-an-hour fastball was a good sign. Uh, the one that, that was that strikeout for his only out. But, uh, but the walk in the head, of course, is not good for someone's confidence. Yeah, he kind of remind like, I feel like he could be like their Ryan Madsen. Like, you know, if he can just get it together. I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think he's, he's the wild card. He's the one homegrown bullpenner that could be something someday soon if he can get it together. But, but, hey, Madsen, good, good example. It took him a few years to really get going into something as well. So, so not a bad comparison there. Um, all right, let's take a look at some of the questions this week in the mailbag. Uh, Kerry wants to know what happens with Bryson Stott uh, once DD is uh, back and healthy off the injured list. Is DD tradable? Doesn't seem so, she adds. Well, I, th- I think the bigger question is should Bryson Stott be starting in the major leagues at this time? And while. Didi Gregorius is set to rehab soon. They haven't announced it yet. They did announce that Mickey Moniak is headed to AA Reading to, to continue his rehab today. No word on a rehab stint for Gregorius just yet. Uh, but Bryson Stott, he's basically been about the same at the plate before he was optioned to AAA and after he was optioned to AAA and then came back. So when you think about why Stott went back to AAA in the first place, it really was because he wasn't hitting. And when there are other players on the roster that are playing better, well, you have to play them. And Alec Bohm, of course, uh, stepped up and took over third base. And uh, Didi was playing pretty well uh, before he had that knee strain uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, if you look at the numbers, Stott was batting 133 and 30 at-bats when he was optioned. And he's had 31 at-bats since he was recalled, and he's batting 129 at that time. So and even in the last seven games, he's hitting just 111. And so... If he's not producing, they're going to play Camargo more. And then when, when Gregorius comes back, they're going to play Gregorius. Uh, you know, I think, I think the Phillies will have to do what they did originally, which was send him to AAA to get, get the swing of things, literally and figuratively, and, uh, be ready in case there's an injury, uh, to try to, try to step in. Now he just hasn't caught on to the major leagues yet. And as you saw in the last week, especially when Harper was out, the Phillies need that production. And if he's not hitting, the, the Phillies, are, as a team that are trying to win this year, they can't afford to have Bryson Stott in the lineup hitting 129. Well, can they afford to have JT Romuto in the lineup hitting 230? Greg wants to know, <laughs> would the team be better off letting, here we go, Garrett Stubbs play two or three times a week rather than letting the guy he just paid an absurd amount of money to be the catcher uh, in the lineup right now? But by the way, Mike, do we get more backup catcher questions than anything else? I think in the, what, the seven years I've been doing this, everybody cares about the backup catcher. Well, look, it's very fair to say Garrett Stubbs has been really good so far. Very nice story. He's hitting 400 in his 10 games, which is great, right? You know, he, when he's had the opportunities, he's made the most uh, of them. Uh, but let's be very, very clear about this. The backup catcher can very much be overexposed. 
Yes, JT Real Muto, five-year, $115.5 million contract. They were signing him to that kind of money to make sure that they did not have scuffling in the lineup maybe when somebody goes down uh, like Bryce Harper just did. You know, without Bryce Harper in the lineup, uh, JT did not come up big and help make up for some of that. And that, that is that is a problem. You know, he's the highest paid catcher in Major League Baseball by average annual value. They expect uh, highest paid production from JT Romuto. But here's the thing I think that, that we must remember here is that the Phillies expected to cycle Romuto through the designated hitter spot a lot more than they have so far this year. And I think what's happened is since Bryce Harper was stuck in that DH role, they've actually caught Real Muto more than they probably should. So I think, yes, the kind of the answer here is I think, yes, Stubbs should be playing a little bit more because you don't want to happen to Real Muto that seemed to happen the last couple of years, which is that he sort of wears down a little bit towards the end and he gets a little bit banged up, which affects his play at the very end of the season. So, so yes, I think Stubbs should play a little bit more than he is. I think you need to keep Real Muto off his feet a little bit more. Maybe give him the start at first base once in a while. He had some action at first base the other day, but you know, the more Stubbs is going to play, the more he's going to be what he was in his first three years in the major leagues, which was an under 200 hitter uh, over three seasons with the Houston Astros. So yeah, it's only been uh, 51 major league games for him, but he's, but he hasn't hit yet. The more you pay, the more you play him, the more he's going to uh, be exposed. But I will say this, why not give him some at-bats against some tough righties and sit JT some more, keep that body in better shape so that he can last the season. And you have to think track record shows and Real, Real Muto will get this together, but uh, you don't want to overuse him uh, and, and really get to the point you did the last couple seasons, which is at the end of the season, he's a little banged up. Right. Well, I mean, I guess the question has to be asked a little bit here. I mean, we're only in the second year of this He's the highest paid catcher by uh, annual uh, in the league. He's 31 years old. Is there some concern about that deal? I think we had concern about that deal when he, they signed it, at least some. I mean, five years is a long time to give to that give to a catcher. And we kind of said that at the end of that, they might be might be hurting a little bit, but there might be a DH spot available to, to try to to try to deal with that some. Uh, so so so, yes, that's going to be a, a question. But you know what? The Phillies paid him for production at the front end of that deal. And they really need him to give that production to this team, especially as Harper has been dealing with this elbow injury. And, and, you know, that injection he got last week, clearly it it kind of threw him off from his hot streak, which unfortunately they they kind of had to do uh, for the the good of the uh, team long-term. But, but yeah, Remuto has got to be better now because they, they, they kind of knew that that's a long deal for a catcher. All right, Frank, uh, JP wants to know why do the Phillies only seem to hit when they're on the road, Citizens Bank Park's supposed to be a hitter's park. Well, it's not that the Phillies seem to be better on the road than at home. The numbers <laughs> say they have been better on the road than at home. Now, I just now let, let's be very clear. There's been 24 games at home and 18 on the road. But here's some of the breakdowns of the numbers. Phillies are batting 239 at home, 262 on the road. They have 20 home runs at home, 28 home runs on the road, and fewer games, of course. 297 on base percentage at home, 331 on the road. They're slugging 372 at home, 461 on the road. And the OPS then is 669 versus 792. So <laughs> really we got to take a, take a step back and ask what the explanation for this is. And certainly it didn't help that Harper was absent for that most recent homestand 
for five of those games, right? So the Phillies lineup was definitely off kilter during that stretch without Harper. And then the Phillies were also getting cold bats from Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. So those numbers in that small sample size might have been affected by those few things. And then we have to really dig in and ask, all right, well, which pitchers pitched that day? You know, which starts were the ones where uh, Wheeler and Eflin and Suarez were kind of gearing up into the season versus the ones where they've kind of hit their stride? You know, we could go into this so many different ways. But before we do, I think, you know, this is still a rather small sample size. And one would expect that eventually uh, this would kind of level out somewhat. But at least for right now, just uh, 18 games versus 24 you're not wrong. Uh, tonight it's uh, Loesch, uh, not Loesch, man, Kyle Gibson. No Kyle Loesch. Wrong Kyle. <laughs> Kyle Gibson, same numbers, you know, 3-2, 398, about Kyle Loesch. Uh, Max Freed, the lefty, going for Atlanta. Game two of the set down there at Truist Field, somewhere about four hours away from Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's uh, game two tonight, and there's the Phillies mailbag. Frank Close will be back next week with more of your Phillies questions, and they got a big series coming up uh, with the Braves to finish here, and then they got a big one this weekend. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. All right, Frank, we'll talk to you, pal. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Yeah, man. All right, Frank Close, you can check out his Phillies mailbag over at 97.3ESPN.com as he goes a little further in depth on all the questions. And if you ever have a question for Frank that you want answered, just send him a tweet at Frank Close. That's close with a K. Frank, K-L-O-S-E, here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, I'm Mike Gill. Next hour, when we come back, yesterday... You know, we are officially, I should say today, not yesterday, today marks 100 days to the start of the college football season. We'll navigate through the schedule to see which games we would want to go to. One a week. Which one? We map that out for you guys next on the Sports Bash. If you're planning a road trip been to a college football game you're going to want to go to these college football games this is the sports bash with mike gill on 97.3 espn now live inside the matt black kia studios here's mike gill all right you're locked into a tuesday edition of the sports bash on 97.3 espn the 97.3 espn free mobile app Coming up at 5 o'clock, it's a Tuesday with Thompson. The PT will join me. We'll talk a little bit about everything. we got Phillies, the hockey playoffs. Claude Giroux has been swept out. So what's his next uh, destination? Does he stay in Florida? I think that's a very interesting offseason thing. Flyers still have, have not even interviewed a coach. Uh, Barry Trotz, I guess, is going to be in. I've heard Tortorella's name thrown out there a little bit. I don't know if that's just people... Uh, board or what, you know, Tockett's name is going to come up a lot. So that's something to keep in mind. Michael Caskey Blomain has the three biggest questions for the Sixers this offseason. That's tonight in our Inside the Sixers at 445. Your text messages are always welcomed. 609-403-0973. Read and react. You guys send them in. I'll read them and react. 609 403 0973. Now, yesterday, uh, there was a website that was basically asking for ideas 
for college basketball, uh, college football games this year. Like he says, I'm going to a college football game every single week. So give me ideas of where I should go. Now it's easy just to say, hey, you got to see the big house. You got to go to the horseshoe. You got to go to Notre Dame. You want to go to an SEC school. I went to a game at Navy last year. I would totally recommend doing that. You know, I'm actually, um, me and my girlfriend were talking about this. We are um, thinking about getting season tickets for Navy. Whoa. Yeah. That's how much fun we had. Wow. That's that's big time. It's a quick, easy drive. It's only like two and a half hours to get yeah, to Annapolis. It's not that far. And it was such a good experience, and it's very cheap. I mean, to get season tickets, listen to this. To get season tickets, two season tickets... For the whole Navy season, every game, and that includes they play Notre Dame this year in Baltimore. So that includes that game. If you buy season tickets, two tickets for the whole season, it's like six hundred and fifty bucks. Okay, for the whole year for that's, two tickets, that's like barely anything. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? So we have talked about getting season tickets to, to uh, Navy football this year. Might be. Might be a Navy football season ticket holder. Wow. There you go. So we've come up with. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good weekend. Maybe you go down on Friday night, find a place to stay. Oh, yeah. Well, what we did last year day. was we went to Baltimore on Friday night, went out to uh, our favorite spot down in Baltimore, and then got up in the car and drove to Annapolis in the morning and then tailgated for a 3.30 kickoff. It was uh, 3.30, I'm pretty sure it was. So we got there. You know, we left around 10, got to Annapolis. It was about a half-hour drive from Baltimore to Annapolis, something like that, maybe 40 minutes, and then got to the hotel, parked. They have a bus that takes you from the hotel to the Naval uh, Football Stadium. Oh, cool. They drop you right off right there. And the way they do it, it's kind of cool. So the person we knew had season tickets, and part of your season ticket package, you get your very own tailgate slash parking spot. It has your name on it. Whoa. So you can pull your car right in there. And how about this? You go into the stadium. They let you come out at halftime and go back in. So, like, they let people go out and tailgate and then go back in after halftime. I've never seen that happen before. Well, it's probably also because they probably vetted every person who's got a ticket in the building. You, know, just, the you don't see, like, once you leave the stadium, typically, like, that's it. You're done. Like, nah, come on back in. Have a good old time. But so, if I can recommend for you, you might want to mark October 22nd on your schedule. October 22nd. So, of all the dates on the calendar, you think October 22nd's the best date? Well, it might interest you. Because it's... Hold on, let me get to October 22nd. This is the Navy home game. Oh, you gave it away already. Well, you talking about Navy home tickets. I was going to see which uh, which October 22nd, you're saying? Yeah. So that's week, uh, looks like it'll be like week seven or eight here. Week, October 22nd, there we go. Week eight. Yeah. October 22nd. So you're talking Navy... Yeah, Navy's got some interesting home games this year, and that was one of them that... Oh, they play Houston, Dana Holgerson. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying it might interest you. Is that your pick for that day? Uh, it actually... was It was in my final three. All right, so the way we did it was basically week one. Now, it's week one is set up into a bunch of different games here. Yeah, so basically what I did for those who are... I, one, there was one game in week one I had to go to. Well, I started in week zero. By the way, well, his yeah, well, the way 
this uh, go ahead. So week zero, I didn't. I don't have week zero unless the where do they start week zero? That Saturday, August twenty seventh. Yeah, August twenty seventh. Um, so then you have that weekend, August twenty seventh, which is September the third. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is technically they're calling that week zero yeah. slash one. So basically, for what I do is I found about three or four games every week and wrote them all down. And then I went back through the whole schedule and isolated the game I would go to each weekend. That way I hit at least, I don't hit the same home stadium every week. I get to experience what is one of the best games each weekend. And I get some experience. So the problem is week zero, though, there's not a lot of options. Well, what was the what were the dates for week zero? August 27th. Okay, so August 27th. What about Thursday, September 1, Friday, September well, that's 2? That's week 1. Okay, so you just picked week 0 was just the one Saturday. Yes. Right. There and wasn't way, a lot of options. I'm sticking to Saturdays each week. So You're right. There wasn't a lot of options for that one. I went with Northwestern Nebraska. That's where I went. Got to, right? I mean, the only other one would possibly be Vanderbilt, if you want to go to Hawaii and check out that <laughs> but stadium. But kind of, if I want to go to Hawaii, I want to go maybe like the Hawaii Bowl on you know around Christmas time. Right. So the other option is Florida State, but they're playing Duquesne. No, I don't care. So I have no interest in that game. And the only other one that I would have small interest in possibly seeing is like Utah State, just to be like, you know, see what it's like. Because I've never been to Utah before. Utah, give me but two. I probably want to go to a, a Utes game over a Utah State game. Yeah. So we both went Northwestern Nebraska. Yep. That game though was in uh, Dublin, Ireland. So we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice that? Yes. So that would kind of take away the whole Nebraska, like going to Nebraska for a game. Yeah. Does that change your? Uh, it does. Change your. Uh, Modus operandi there. Yeah, I mean now Florida Atlantic. I have been to that stadium. Okay, it's a cool little stadium there in Boca Raton. There's a part of me that the almost Howard Schnellenberger Stadium. Maybe like the Wyoming Illinois game, just to get like an Illini feel. Eh, the Illini don't do much for me. Well, then let's go to Hawaii. All right. Well, Dublin would be cool. It would. That's true, but it's not really a college football environment. All right. So then you let. So did you lump in the Thursday, Friday, Saturday slate? So what I did was I only stuck to every Saturday. I did not Sunday, Monday too. By the way, I know. But my thing was is that I didn't want to complicate this list. Okay. You know how many times has Mike Gill told me, Josh, got to simplify it for the people. Don't be so complicated. True. So I just kept it to Saturday every week. Okay. Well, see, this one was was interesting. Because I went with the Thursday, West Virginia's playing Pitt in the backyard brawl. That's a Thursday night game at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Yeah, see, this is where I got, I told myself I would take some of my personal biases out of some of these decisions as much as possible. So these are trying, I tried to make this generic. There was no game on that Friday that interests me, Mm -hmm. right? I mean... I'm not. I don't need to go to uh, Indiana, Colorado, Kansas to see a football game. Um, maybe Michigan State, but Illinois, Indiana, eh, TCU, Colorado. Eh. Yeah, the Sunday one. All right, you got a bunch of interesting games on that first Sunday, but I don't know that there well, was the Sunday like... game is Florida State LSU, and then the Monday game is Clemson Georgia. No, I'm talking 10. about Saturday. I'm sorry, the Saturday, the uh, long Saturday slate. Yes. 
Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Georgia, Oregon. They are the two big games that weekend. So I went Georgia, Oregon because I wanted to make sure I got at least one Oregon game on the schedule. I was waffling between a few, but I thought, you know what? First game of the year, former Georgia assistant coach, now Oregon's head coach. Georgia travels to Oregon. Georgia graduated a lot of kids from last year. So I want to get the Oregon feel, a big college game, and I can get another Ohio State game later in the year. All right. I uh, Now, Delaware's playing Navy that weekend down in Annapolis, if you uh, want to check that <laughs> game out, just for uh, local ties. You know, Delaware. Uh, also, um, Season ticket holder you've there. got the only other game that has some possible interest, I guess, uh, if you want to kind of say, hey, you know, that would be a kind of a cool atmosphere to go check out. You could see Utah, who's pretty good, at playing Florida. Florida. Correct. And you could see Cincinnati, who's been pretty good, at Arkansas. I have no interest in the Cincinnati-Arkansas game. I think Arkansas is going to kill them. I think they graduated way too many kids. But I'm going, my pick would be the West Virginia pit game. I'm going. Backyard brawl. I'm going to Georgia-Oregon. I want to get out in the stadium. I want to get the crazy crowd first big weekend of college I, I think i'll be able to get them in here somewhere i think so and then sunday you have florida state lsu clemson georgia tech i don't have all that interest in going to see georgia tech play florida state lsu might be interesting just because of the fact that it's brian kelly's first game as an lsu head coach yeah by the way you guys can text us 609 403 if there's a college football game that you've been to, a college football atmosphere you want to see, or one of the college football games that we're throwing out at you. We're looking to give you guys road trip ideas for the 100 days away. This is where you can start planning your trip now. So we're giving you some ideas of where you got to go to a college football Saturday. You guys in the listening audience, if you've never gone, you got to. And these are the games you might want to take a trip to. All right? Week two on the schedule. Now, you're just going Saturday. I'm just going Saturday. I'm keeping it simple. Okay. I know the Friday is Louisville, UCF, meh. Pass. FIU, Texas State. Now, Texas State, All right, it's Jeff a party Nadeau. atmosphere. All right, Jeff Nadeau. It's a party atmosphere. I don't atmosphere. need to hear the Texas State breakdown. I'm just saying it's a party atmosphere. Okay. You want to go for the party, you don't go for the football game. <laughs> uh, Saturday, so I had a couple options. I, what I do you know about, about Texas State partying? I know someone who used to go there. Okay. They told random. me it's a crazy party school. Random. Yes, I know a lot of random people. So I narrowed this down to a few different games, but I settled on Kentucky at Florida. Big SEC rivalry. I want to get down to Florida, get the Florida experience. Other options were South Carolina at Arkansas, because that's Spencer Rattler's first road SEC game. Alabama at Texas, but I'm assuming Alabama is going to destroy Texas. So that might not be a very interesting game. All right, this is not a great week two schedule. When I was going through this, I was like, man, there's a lot of mess on here. Maybe Arizona State, Oklahoma State, if you are a a deep-cut guy like me. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been to Blacksburg before. Not for a football game, but I have been to Blacksburg. That's okay because it is a early-season conference matchup. Mm -hmm. You don't get a whole heck of a lot of those. Um, so that was one that I was like, ah, I've already been to Blacksburg. I don't really need to go to a football game there. Um, the, you know, Marshall's playing at Notre Dame. 
I've been to South Bend, but I haven't been to a football game there. Because, again, this is not a great schedule. But you know the one that I'm going to end up picking in this situation? It might sound a little odd. Baylor's at BYU. I would love to so go to a game. You want to go to BYU. I would love to go to Provo and watch a game. Those guys, it gets nuts in that stadium. It does. It does. That would be such a unique atmosphere. And Baylor's really good. They are. For me, I, I want to see, because people forget, you know, Will Levis is going to be an NFL draft prospect next year. He's Kentucky's quarterback. Florida, they got um, Andrew Harrison. He's going to be an NFL prospect. You got NFL prospects on the field, big SEC game. That's why I went with that. All right. So I got B going to BYU. West Virginia plays Kansas that week, by the way, which is a, a one of the few conference games that is on that week two. Schedule. By the way, WVU did make a couple mentions in my list here, so be prepared for that. Nice. Week three. You got a Friday night Florida State Louisville game, nah. And then you've got the uh, all right Saturday slate. Who'd you go with? Now there was I had there was a bunch of options here. This is not the greatest slate. Well, I thought I thought this was a good slate. Some okay game. You're taking a road trip here now. To me, I narrowed my choices down to Penn State, Auburn, yep, Mississippi State, LSU, Georgia, South Carolina. Those are my three. Okay, I had Penn State, Auburn on mine as well. Um. Now, this is interesting because remember we talked about earlier getting Oregon involved. They're playing BYU at home. So you want to see BYU back-to-back weeks. I didn't necessarily say that. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, I want to go, I'd want to. like to go to a game at BYU, but okay. trying to fit Oregon in there as well. So that was uh, under consideration okay. in that spot there. You also have Oklahoma um, at Nebraska, if you're not going to be able to go to that Nebraska game a little earlier in the year, True. right? Because of the fact that they are in uh, Dublin, con- Ireland, and they're also different conferences. It's a, it's a old school rivalry from the Big Twelve. Now, you have any interest in an old school Rutgers Temple game, old school Big East? I wouldn't have hated it, you know. If you at the link, you know, it's not a bad idea. Maybe not your traditional college football atmosphere, right? But not a bad idea, right? So those are the ones that uh, stood out to me there. What did you lean on? I'm going in the week three. If I'm doing a road trip for this one, I think I'm going to go to Oregon for the BYU-Oregon game September 17th. I'm going the Penn State-Auburn game. I want to get the Auburn atmosphere. I want to experience War Eagle. I want to go to the pregame with all the crazy people with the 200 food stands set up. I want the whole nine yards. Got it. All right. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, that's a tough one, but I do think I could fit an Auburn game in here somewhere. Yeah, there's a reason why I had to pick that one, because there's there a couple of Auburn games later in the season. I had to pick other games those weeks. All right. Thursday's tough, because it's West Virginia at Virginia Tech. Now, that one I wouldn't mind being at. That would be a cool one. Blacksburg. Blacksburg on a Thursday night. Yep. So, you could hit that on the Thursday. You could. Use Friday as your travel day to get to one of these Saturday games. Very true. I Boom. Like the way you think. How about that? I like it. All right, give me your Saturdays. So, my Saturday, my choices were... Uh, I had Utah at Arizona State, Florida at Tennessee, TCU at SMU. It's a big rivalry game. Also, Wisconsin at Ohio State. Mm. All right. Um, on my choices here, 
it's not the best week of uh, matchups here this There's week. There's some interesting ones. The Florida-Tennessee game, going down to Knoxville for a game would be pretty amazing, right? That stadium fits, what, 110,000? Yep. You've got Utah at Arizona State. Utes yes. are really good. Arizona State's kind of meh. Well, they got a new quarterback this year, so they'll be interesting. Right. Now you're sending me back down the same road if I go Oregon, Washington State. I wouldn't mind going to Pullman, Washington for a game and just going to Pullman. I heard it's a fantastic uh, spot there. Experience, yes. Um, Same with University of Washington. Going to Husky Stadium for a game gets very loud there. They're playing Stanford. So some of those Pac-10 games – would be nice. The Wisconsin Ohio State game, I think you mentioned that one, yep. is on the map as well. And then the last one on there, you've got. Um, oh, this would be more for just because I went to this game last year. It was Navy's at East Carolina? So you no know interest. I was at TCU that game SMU. at Navy. Nah, I don't really care to see SMU. Okay, it's a rivalry game. That's why I had it on my list. Yep, not on my list, but. Uh, overall, I think of that group, uh, probably you got Miss uh, Missouri Auburn too, which give me a shot to go to that Auburn uh, setting again. But I think I would do the Florida Tennessee. That was my in choice. This spot. That was my choice. I wanted to get at least one Tennessee game in there. Yeah, I felt that was important. Yeah, you got to get to Knoxville for a game. No question. Got to get down there. You got 110,000 people wearing the ugliest color orange you ever saw. (laughs) Definitely worth your time. Now, Uh, the next week is where I would consider doing the BYU game. It's a Thursday night. Because it's a Thursday night, Utah State at BYU. Okay. So you get your BYU in, you get your Thursday in, and then Friday's your travel day. There you go. You also got a little Friday Washington against UCLA. Can hit that on the West Coast if you uh, want to make a little West Coast swing for you people trying to get. It. You can go out there and check out little UCLA. Maybe uh, I don't know Phillies Dodgers uh, the same weekend. I doubt it. I doubt it. That's a nice thought though. There you go. That's what you got to try to do. We're, we're giving you the Saturday games. You start planning around them. Right. You do whatever you want around it. I mean, have a good time. Mm-hmm. All right. Up. Now the Saturday slate. There's a lot of games on this one. You got Kentucky at Ole Miss. This is probably where you gave West Virginia a mention. WVU at Texas. Yep. You got NC State at Clemson. Alabama at Arkansas. LSU at Auburn. Texas A&M at Miss State. You also have Colorado at Arizona. If you want to go Pac-12 or Arizona State at USC. Also Cal at Washington State. Stanford at Oregon. Oregon State at Utah you want to go to Baylor, you can go OK State at Baylor. That should be a defensive matchup right there. And, of course, you have... Well, the guys out there... See, now I'll give you the guys a little tip. If you want to try to do a college football weekend, you go Baylor because your wife or girlfriend will want to go to see the girl and the husband from HGTV. Ah. They live in Waco. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember their yeah, names. Yeah, they're, they're the big boosters down there. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Uh, um, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yes. 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 So yes. that's what you do, guys. You say, hey, you want to go to a college football game? You bring up Baylor for a game and tell her, well, the HGTV the husband and wife, Chip and Joanna. They're going to be there. They live, well, all the houses around town, and they have their own businesses. They have, like, a bakery down there, all that stuff. Because, like, West Virginia... 
when they go to Baylor, my girlfriend says, oh, I'll go. We, we can go to that game. So whenever that's on the schedule, I'm, I got to check my schedule to see if we can right, fit right. that in. Yeah. Uh, for me, this week's easy. It's West Virginia, Texas. I want to go to a game in Austin anyway. Right. I have not been to a West Virginia football game since they have joined the Big 12. I have not gone to a road game oh, wow. since okay. they've joined the Big 12. Now, they do play in Maryland from time to time. They've played in, um, like, nearby. Uh, they played at the Washington Commanders Stadium a couple times. Like, they have played close, but I want to go to check out a game in a Big 12 rival school. Fair. Texas would be the one. So my choice I went NC State Clemson. One, I want to experience Clemson. Yep. I want to experience that insanity. Number two, Devin Leary from South Jersey is the NC State quarterback. He beat Clemson last year, and he'd do it again. All right. So, guys, we're giving you some college football road trips. So what I want you guys to do when we go to break here. Send us a text, 609-403-0973. Give us a college football road trip you've been on, you want to go to. You can even ask about places that you were thinking about going because there's a good possibility that one of us, or probably more me, have been to one. Have you been to a college football road trip? Not in this capacity. Okay. So, 100 days away from the start of the college football season, guys. We're giving you the road trips that you got to go on. These are the trips each week. That Baylor trip's a smart one for you guys out there, by the way. That's a little tidbit from, from me to you. Hey, you want to go to Baylor for a college football game? Why would we do that, honey? <laughs> oh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They live in Waco. It's right there. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fun. More sports bash on the way. So you guys text us a college football game you want to go to, a college football experience you've had, a college football game you want to see. We'll give you a couple more games that you should plan a trip to go see. 100 days away from the college football season starting. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports Bash. ESPN. All right, who wants to go on a road trip? We're looking at college football road trips, one every weekend. Plus some honorable mentions. we got some good ones coming in on the text board. So here's what you can do. Give us some ideas. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Tell us about a college road trip, a game you've been to, a stadium that we need to go to. Now, I've been to a handful of college football stadiums, college football games. Right, right. Um... Nothing great. Like, I've been to Syracuse. I went to the Dome. Interesting. I went there for a basketball game, too. Very interesting. I was going to say, it must be very bizarre. Yeah, because half the place is shut down. Right. Like, you go behind the curtain, you're like, there's nothing going on over here. But you have this great college basketball atmosphere. Right. Uh, I've been to... Now, I've been to a lot of college campuses, but not the games when I was there. Okay. So... You know, I went to a uh, Army Navy game once. I like that. That was in uh, up in East Rutherford. Oddly, not at, in Philly. It's in Philly this year. Went to a couple Temple games at the Vet. Been okay. to a couple Rutgers games. 
like I said, I was at Notre Dame. I didn't go to a game. I was in Blacksburg for Virginia Tech, didn't go to a game. I was in Miami, did not go to a game. I've been to college campuses, I mean, all over the country. Maryland, Tulane, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Seton Hall doesn't have a football team. So I've been to a lot of college campuses, hence all the shirts that I have. <laughs> been to Yale, not for a football game, although they did have a game the weekend I was in Yale. Okay. Just didn't go. You should have gone. Been to a Penn game before at Bud Franklin Field. Penn Quakers. Yes. They wear blue and red, by the way. <laughs> yes. So, uh, all right, let's uh, read off some of the text messages that we've been getting in. Let's go to the uh, free mobile app. Jeff in Ocean City is listening on the app. He says, guys, I'd like to attend the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I don't think they call it that anymore. No, they but, don't, but he says it's on his birthday, October 29th. Oh. Is that on your list, October 29th? We'll have to find out. So it's one of the finalists. Uh, Mike, that triple option gets pretty boring after a while. I go to an Army football game almost every year, and it's a nice environment, not always great games. I've seen an Army game where they didn't complete a pass. Well, come on, man. I'm not going for the competitiveness of the football I'm game. I'm going for the environment. I'm going because I want to be at a college football game. I want to be game. there in the moment. Like, I went to see Navy and East Carolina last year. Now, my girlfriend went to East Carolina, I but I don't have really any rooting interest in the game. I just love being at a college football game and tailgating and being in the – and, like, once you become a season ticket, you feel, like, a sense of ownership, pride, right? It doesn't matter what – like, I'm not going to become, like, some hardcore Navy football fan. Maybe I will. I don't know. But, like, the people that go to Navy games, they're not there hoping that Navy, like – wins these games as much as they're there because they're supporting the community. Yeah, and also, I listen, if you be if you get the neat tickets, I only have one requirement. You got you to get a Navy zip-up pullover. Okay. You got to add it to the rotation. You know, when I was there, <laughs> I didn't buy anything. Oddly enough, That's I have no nice. Navy gear. That's very unlike you. Well, I could order something, but... I'm just saying, you know, you have, you have the zip... You know why? Order zip pullover. Can I tell you why? Why? Navy's contract is with Under Armour. And Under Armour and I, eh, you don't really see eye to eye in terms of fit. I don't mind their product. I'm not like an anti-Under Armour guy. In fact, a guy I went to college, he's like one of the head guys at Under Armour. But the fit of Under Armour isn't as pleasing to me as some of the other brands. That's one of the reasons I don't have a lot of Under Armour stuff. That's all. Guys, Coastal Carolina is drivable. Great pregame tailgates. Myrtle Beach is a cool city. You can play some golf. The quarterback's an NFL prospect. Yep. They finished the season ranked uh, pretty high last year. They have a chance of going undefeated this season. Yeah. Coastal Carolina is a place that has now become a little football. Yeah, that's a destination. I'd go there for sure. Guys, different ways to go with this. This gentleman says the matchup, the stadium, the town. That's a good point. How are you kind of picking yours? Are you going by, like, the matchup of the two teams? Like, you want to see that game? Is it more for the stadium you want to go see? Is it more for the campus? It's all the above. I For my list, I try to keep everything in play. Yeah, I'm more about, like, the matchup isn't as big to me because I have a college football team that I'm passionate about. So I'm not going to go there with, like, some care about the two teams I'm watching. Mm -hmm. So matchup is third on the list of those things. Okay. The campus is a big, you know, I want to go, like I said, I don't really care so much about Washington State, but I would love to see Pullman, Washington, and the stadium and stuff like that. So stadium and town 
higher on the list than matchup for me. The the experience and the stadium is number one for me. Number two is the match. Guys, you got to go Notre Dame at USC last week of the season. Classic rivalry. Both teams have had quite an offseason, especially USC, cleaning up in the transfer portal. You know, they are on my list a couple times here. They Well, you'll have to find out if they make it, make the cut. Okay, Matt says, saw Ohio State at Iowa. Iowa has a good atmosphere and a fun tailgate. Field of Dreams isn't too far either. See, now that is an addition. You see, tell now, me that. See, now you're making a weekend. I like that. Well, he said the Field of Dreams isn't too far. So, right, maybe you do that in the morning if it's a night game, something to that effect. Or you get up on a Sunday right. and, you know, make the drive to Field of Dreams before you head out of town. Or maybe you, you go in for a full weekend. You, maybe you get there, stay Thursday night. You do it on Friday. You go to the game on Saturday. Iowa opposite. has that tradition, too, now. They just start it where they kind of do the wave at the hospital. Isn't that them? Iowa State. Is that Iowa State? I thought well, that was, was Iowa, Iowa State. Okay. But it started, the reason why I thought of it, it started with the Iowa State-Iowa game a few years ago. Is that ago. what it was? Yeah, it, in the Iowa State, they waved to the kids in the hospital. Gotcha. Guys, my college wish list is a whiteout at Penn State night game at Death Valley LSU, a day game at the Swamp, and I want to jump around at Wisconsin. I like this guy's list. Okay. This guy and I can have a good time together. We can you hang and out. Mr. 305 are hanging out together. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. It's a little warped in some of his thinking, but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, all right, so let's get back to some of these. You guys keep them coming in. 609-403-0973. Your college football experiences you want to see, go to, campuses, games that you've been to. Give us some suggestions because we're going down the list of places, you know, and you guys know the schedule for the most part. Now there's some non-conference stuff that gets thrown in from time to time. But chime in. Let us know. Great job so far on the text board. All right, we're at week number six of the college football season. We're 100 days away from the start of the college football season. We're picking one game every weekend during the college football season we want to go on a road trip on. So, guys, if there's a road trip you want to go this year, these are some great possibilities to go check out. All right, what do you got? All right, so some of the finalists include Auburn at Georgia. Yep. South Carolina, Kentucky. Yeah, South Carolina, Kentucky, I can't get behind. Tennessee, I don't need to go to Lexington, Kentucky for a football game. Okay. Yeah, I'll go for the Derby. I I mean, uh, not for the Derby, for college basketball. Mm -hmm. Louisville would be uh, for the Derby, but, you know. Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee, LSU's worth it, yes. I've been to uh, Tulane, which is in New Orleans. Gotcha. Uh, Washington at Arizona State. Yep. You also have... You skipped over Oregon, Arizona. No interest? Uh, where was that? Oh, there it is. Um, marginal interest. I would imagine you've got... Now, you I'm got... a little more interested in going to an Arizona State game than an Arizona game. Okay. That's just where I stand with that. Uh, also, you got to throw in there... I, I would like to go to see Texas, Oklahoma. Right. You know, that's that's a big-time rivalry. Now, keep right in mind, ever. that's not a campus game. No, it's not. So there's a little bit of a part of me that's like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to go to that. Also, BYU at Notre Dame. Got to get a Notre Dame game in there somewhere, right? Definitely. And also Ohio State at Michigan State. 
was one of the finalists as well. But the team in the game I chose is the only correct choice this year. Oh, Texas A&M at Alabama. Oh, yeah, you got to go. Jimbo, save it. Give me the fireworks. Give me the fans booing him. Give me all the juice. Give me all the craziness. Yeah, there's going to be fights in that game, though. I'm a little I nervous wanna about that. I want to be there. I'm a little nervous about the possibility of fights, something to that effect. But, yeah, if you're going to go an Alabama game at home this year, that's got to be the one, right? Right? Yeah. Yes. Give it to me. I'd probably be on board with that one as well. There are some lower-level, interesting games, if you will. Like, you know, if you're, like, kind of want to go to, like, a remote place that you would never check out, like, for instance, like I Arizona, had, like an Air Force Utah State game. No, where was the one that I saw that I was like, you know, that one would be kind of interesting, but there's too many other ones going on that weekend. Tulsa plays Navy that weekend, by the way. Did I? Am I on the wrong week? Maybe that I thought that I saw some <laughs> games on this week that I was like, you know what, that would be kind of cool. Oh yeah, no, it was. Um, there it is. Fresno plays at Boise. Okay. Like I'd like to go to a game at Boise. Something like sure. that, right? Yeah. Hawaii plays San Diego State. San Diego's a nice town. Yep. You get to do something like out that way, but with interesting teams that are playing there. All right. So, ready for next week? It's got to be Texas A&M, Alabama. That's that Saturday, October the 8th. Yes, I am ready for that. Now, so the Thursday game that has to be considered is Baylor at WVU. Yeah, that's the game that to, uh, to take your girl to Waco for. So that's, this one's in WVU. Oh, it's at Morgantown. Well, you can yeah. go down to Morgantown. Check that yeah. out. Morgantown at night on a Thursday, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> you could get yourself into some trouble just from experience. Oh, th- thanks for the tip. Mm-hmm. So the Saturday games to be keeping an eye on, you got Arkansas at BYU, LSU at Florida. You have Auburn at Ole Miss. Bama at Tennessee. You have Washington State at Arizona State. Arizona State's a very interesting environment, I've been told. You have USC at Utah. You also have... Let me scroll down here. I lost my spot here. Oh, here it is. If you want to go interesting, you could go Wisconsin and Michigan State. There's an experience for you. Clemson at Florida State. But the game that I chose... Penn State, Michigan, give me the big house. Yeah, that would be the one there for this weekend. It's Penn State, Michigan, big house. That's the one that was the top one on my list as well. Now, you got Stanford-Notre Dame in there as well. Kind of a rivalry game. True. Don't forget about that. I just don't know how good Stanford's going to be this year. And there's a lot of Notre Dame games on the schedule you can choose from. Yeah, absolutely. But, hey, you know, just giving the people... Oh, and if you're a fan of uh, the Duke-North Carolina rivalry, you get it in football this week as well. And Duke's been better at football. They they both have been. There you go. You ready for the next week? I am ready for week eight, yes. All right, so some of your options include uh, UCLA at Oregon. That's Chip Kelly returning to Oregon, by the way. Yep. Uh, if you want to throw in a Navy game. Wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. Sorry. Houston at Navy. That's your boy Dana Holgerson. You also have Mississippi State at Alabama. You have Washington at Cal. Cal could be on somebody's you know wish list there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned 
Baylor's hosting Kansas. You know, I don't know if that interests anybody, but that could be on the list for someone as well. Uh, no, I'm not going to Kansas for football. You're not going to, you're not going to the. No, if I'm going to go to Kansas, I'm going for basketball. Is that Baylor? Oh, I thought you said Baylor at Kansas. No, it's Kansas at Baylor. You also have Minnesota at Penn State if you want to get some Penn State action in there. Uh, the game I'm going with this weekend is Ole Miss at LSU. Give me the other Death Valley. Give me Lane Kiffin versus Brian Kelly. Give me the SEC drama. Give me the crazed environment. All right. That's a pretty solid one. Can't argue with that. You've got – all right. So I've been to Penn State's campus, but not for a football game. That's another place like Tennessee where there's 110,000 people right. uh, that are on the campus there. But I don't know that this is uh, the matchup that I want to go to see there. I do have Penn State on my list somewhere. Just You've – I don't think that I've picked an LSU game yet. So I'll go Ole Miss LSU, Tiger Stadium, boom, early. I don't know. These games, I don't know why college football does this with the game times. Just give us the game times before the year starts. Why can't they give us game times? (laughs) TV, that's why. I get it. But, I mean, the NFL, they know 1-4, 1-4, 1-4, all that stuff. They know when uh, you schedule around when the game's, when you're told the time is, right? All right, we'll uh, close out the schedule coming up next. Keep your text messages coming. We'll read off some more. Yes, it's Iowa. He says it's Iowa, not Iowa State, that does the waving at the uh, hospital. I thought it was Iowa. I'll double check. I think that guy's right. Uh, Larry from North Cape Bay says he's been fortunate to go to all the SEC stadiums for the game experience, a night game LSU, Swamp or a Musk. For the tailgate experience, Old Miss, Georgia, Auburn, War Eagle is must-see. Tennessee overrated, he says. He says he's also visited the Big House. Tailgating the game was a great experience, but the game experience was crap. Okay, thanks for that tip, Larry. I like that kind of stuff. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, back to the Spine 97.3 ESPN. All right, 10 to the top of the hour. Football is fours on the way. Adam Kaplan's got his tears on how he has the teams ranked heading into the OTAs. That's in 10 minutes. We're looking through the college football schedule. 100 days away from the start of the college football season. These are road trips we want to go on each week. We're almost through the whole schedule here. And uh, we reach uh, the ninth week of the season. So uh, what do you got? Well, under consideration, you mentioned earlier the uh, formerly known as the world's largest outdoor cocktail party this week. It's October 29th, Florida, Georgia. Uh, you also have a couple other interesting games. to Kentucky at Tennessee, Ole Miss at Texas A&M, Michigan State at Michigan. But, Mike, I'm going with Ohio State at Penn State. Yeah, that's the Penn State one that I figure that I would pick. If I'm going to go to a Penn State game, I'll get the Ohio State-Penn State game in. Bang, I'll head to there. There's also a couple other ones we mentioned. I want to check out Boise State. They're playing Colorado State uh, that week. So if you want to check out Boise, that's a pretty good matchup. Colorado State's a decent team. 
Uh, you got UVA against Miami. Uh, you know, that's a good time of the year to go check out down there. If you want to go check out Temple, they're at Navy that weekend, by the way. You throw Navy if you want to sure. get to a Navy game. You definitely want to try to get to one of the academies in one of their home games. You know, if you want to go to an Army-Navy game, that's different. But you want to check out the Naval Academy when they play a home game uh, down there in Annapolis. You'd like to check out Army when they're up there uh, in New York. So uh, those are a couple of uh, interesting ones as well. The other one, you got Michigan-Michigan State that weekend as well. So yep. that's something that would be of interest to me to go check out a Michigan-Michigan State game. And if you want to go see, I wouldn't be adverse to going to check out like uh, a game in um, you know at, later on in the year, like in this time of the year, like October-ish, when you get to go see like Arizona State, Colorado, like out in Colorado that time of the year, we might get a little snow, something to that effect. So you got uh, – Arizona State plays Colorado. You got Oregon at Cal that weekend. So, want to check out a Cal Bears game? You can go to uh, uh, Berkeley for a game that's pretty cool out there. Sure. There you go. Uh, next week, by the way, the Thursday night for the next week, if you want to choose a Thursday night game, how about Appalachian State at Coastal Carolina? Thursday, November 3rd. That's the third. Now, you're starting to get into the Tuesday nighters here, the Wednesday nighters. You got these uh, action games right. here. You also have two Fridays. Washington plays Oregon State, Duke, Boston College. BC's a pretty cool atmosphere for a game if you uh, want to check that out on a Friday night. The Saturday games. My finalists were Alabama at LSU, Clemson at Notre Dame, Auburn at Mississippi State, Tennessee at Georgia, Florida at Texas A&M, Arizona at Utah, UCLA at Arizona State, Cal at USC. Wow. But the game I picked, Air Force at Army. That was the one that I had circled as well. Now, the difference, though, there is that game's in Arlington, Texas. It is not in Army's home stadium. It's not. Which, which is definitely a knock. It's I'm a knock. Go- and the, the one that I went with here is Clemson at Notre Dame. So yeah, if I'm going to go to the Notre Dame game... Give me this one later on in the year. Clemson. What's your Notre Dame game in? That's my Notre Dame game that I'm getting in. Boom. Uh, there were some other interesting ones, too, as you mentioned, a, a bunch of them there. But also West Virginia, Iowa State. I definitely want to go to Iowa State to Ames to check out a game at Jack Trice Stadium. November 12th. This is a week 11. You got LSU at Arkansas. Texas A&M at Auburn. South Carolina at Florida. Alabama at Ole Miss, you know, Saban versus Kiffin, always a good time. Arizona at UCLA, Arizona State at Washington State. You want to get up to Pullman there, Mike. You also got Washington at Oregon, Stanford at Utah, Kansas State at Baylor, to throw that in there. I think I know the game you're going with, though. The game I picked, the Sooners at WVU. That is not the game that I thought you picked. All right. I want to go to a WVU game. I always hear you talking about it. Got to. Oh, Morgantown's great. Uh, I thought you were going to go Notre Dame at Navy in uh, Baltimore. I, I would love to go to that game. I just think that uh, I want to get the WVU invited. Okay, well, Notre Dame Navy in Baltimore was a game that I circled as a, hey, guys, that's a road trip you could go on. And it's not a college campus. I get that. But you're going to a major college football game. It's more of the nostalgia factor. And it's quick we'll drive away as we get around the holidays we'll go through the back end of the schedule a little bit later on the show so stick around for that around 5 30 tonight if you want a road trip come on back around 5 30 tonight we'll finish up the schedule but next john gannon spoke today what did he have to say 
something very interesting that stood out to me. I'll talk about it with Adam Kaplan next. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by our friends from the Inside the birds podcast it's brought to you by the ac airport plan your summer vacation now spirit airlines is offering non-stop flights from atlantic city international airport to boston atlanta san juan miami and other exciting destinations visit spirit.com to book right now adam kaplan is here from inside the birds.com and the latest inside the birds podcast which dropped uh, yesterday, you can check that out on the Inside the Birds platforms and wherever you get your podcasts. And he joins me now on a day where John Gannon met the media. And I thought Adam had some pretty interesting things to say. So let's dive into some of those. How are you, friend? Good to talk to you. Yeah, it was, it was good to see Gannon talk or to hear Gannon talk. Uh, he seemed a lot so. more confident. Speaking today, he seemed like he had much more confidence when he spoke. He was very reserved and quiet last year. Mike, it's funny you say that because it's almost like he had a chip on his shoulder. Like maybe he's aware of some things people said and didn't say and were critical, whatever the case may be. He wasn't defiant. He just he seemed a little bit different. I, confidence, whatever you want to call it. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely thought he either either the PR staff prepped him or someone got in his ear for the last six to nine months. Said, hey, man, you need, you know, you just need to come out here a little bit stronger. And he was ready for it. Look, in the media, it wasn't like the media didn't know that he was going to talk eventually. And they did today. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about uh, his plans when we get a little bit of access before training camp starts. But, yeah, it was definitely good to see to hear him and see him speak. Yeah. So. There was a lot of things in here that I want to get your opinion on. But one that really stood out to me was a question from our friend Les Bowen. And he said, with the additions in the offseason, is it fair to say that fans will see more of what you want to do rather than what you had to do to make up for some of the things that weren't what you wanted? And he kind of pushed back on that as if, like, no, I'm not going to do things differently because we have pieces that I now want. We just didn't execute them as well last year. I, I thought his answer would have been a little different when asked, hey, are you going to get to do things now more the way you want to? Right, because he doesn't want to blame the front office, and that's admirable. I, I get it. Uh, but let's face it, they other than other than Darius Slay, they really struggled at corner. We know why Steven Nelson isn't back here. He just wasn't good enough. He had a good contract, though, with the Texans, but the Eagles were looking up great at corner. They Boy, they sure did. No question about that with, with Bradbury. Now, he also was asking about you know, man versus zone. He thinks he's versatile. There's some truth to it, but everybody knows and follows the, the NFL, and particularly this situation. Bradbury's way more comfortable in zone coverage. That's just the fact. Now, the, the question would be, and I know he's not going to give you a lot because he doesn't want to give it away. Other teams could hear all this and see it all. But what's going to be different? And Les's question was, was was fair. But again, he's not going to give it up. But what he did, I think um, Martin Frank asked us about the scheme. And, just, and Gannon's response was, it's a matchup-driven league. Well, 
what what Gannon didn't say, but we all know, now you have a guy like Bradbury, you now can match up. If you want to play man, you can match up. If you want, if you can play matchup zone. Uh, you can do that. They're, they play what they wanted to play. They did some of this. We, we put this out last summer that the Eagles wanted to play mirror match coverage, and they didn't do a lot of it early on. They did it later. Now that you get a James Bradbury, there's some things you can do that you were not able to do last year. That, that's an absolute fact. I think we all know that. Yeah. Now, he was asked about all the cornerbacks in the room. What's the reason? They went out and got another one yesterday, by the way, James Moreland, a guy yeah. who's had some starting experience, by the way, more of a slot guy. Uh, but. Yeah. You know, why all the cornerbacks in the room? What's the plan with all these guys? And then, you know, followed up with James Bradbury, what made him an intriguing addition here? So that cornerback question uh, was at the forefront of this conversation with Gannon. Yeah, and look, he he's not going to – like, he discussed it, and he talks about that it's a matchup-driven league, and it obviously that he was talking about there's so many jerseys that they have now. Well, yeah, they they have more of them. That that's the point, and they're going to learn as they get Bradbury into their offseason program, and then really in training camp. That's when that's when you really could do things because there's you're so limited to what you can do in the offseason because of contact. You can't really have any contact, so they'll be able to. They'll really. This is a learning phase, and then the real competition and the, it gets heated up when you could do more. You're allowed to do more in training camp, but these next two weeks before they're off for the summer, remember. The Eagles are essentially one of the first team of not one of the first teams, if not the first team, to be off for the summer. They were the first team last year because of their agreement that uh, Sirianni had with the players. So these next couple weeks here, Mike, are going to be huge for the learning process with all of the new players. It's not just Bradbury; it's the draft picks. It's Jordan Davis. He was he was asked about Jordan Davis, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how they're going to use Jordan Davis. He, boy, he seemed to indicate. I don't even know. I'm not sure what he meant about it getting. Ability to rush the passer, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But he definitely talked about um, his ability to, to play what's different from college the pro level. Yeah, he mentioned, you know, about how Jordan Davis is a big, violent guy. He, he talked about yeah. N'Kobe Dean, about how uh, getting him was a, a little bit of a surprise for them, where they ended up getting him. So when he mentioned those guys. But, you know, those are two guys that would allow you to kind of change your your fronts, you know, having Jordan Davis. Um, and, and he kind of indicated, did you get the indication that, yes, we're going to see more uh, changes in the fronts? We're going to see more three front looks, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's no question. I, I know he's not going to give it up, but we all know they're going to be multiple. We, we've talked about that on the set of birds repeatedly uh, after the draft when they got Jordan Davis. Because Jordan Davis, Mike, even if he only plays 25 snaps a game, on those 25 snaps, it gives you an ability to be multiple because he could be a nose tackle. You could play him at five technique in a 34 front if you want to because he's long. Don't forget how tall he is and how long he is. He's such an athlete. I, it, there's, I know Gannon does not want to criticize the roster that he had last season. I, I, I get it. But to think like they, they can't do way more than they did last year is ridiculous. Of course they can because they've got a talent. They sure do. Uh, and, you know, that has been something I know um, one of the things we'll probably talk about a little bit later on in the week is you know, the tiers of where these teams are, and a lot of people where they're trying to put the Eagles at is because they've added so much talent, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, which means Gannon is going to have a lot of new pieces to work with here. He's got so many new faces with Reddick and then getting Brandon Graham back. That was another question about getting Graham back, how big that is for them. They now have Bradbury. But one area where they didn't get a lot of new faces is safety. 
How did you, yeah. uh, what was your reaction to the way he answered the safety question? Any uh, tea leaves there? No, not really. I mean, he, he, you know, he was asked about Marcus, Marcus Epps, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, just based on what we had seen. And uh, on our pregame show on Inside the Birds, Greg Cosell and Jason Avant talked about him. I know in Q&A they've talked about him with, with, uh, with Quentin Michael and, and Jason. So, yeah, he, he, he talked about the consistency because this is the thing that which made Marcus Sepp stand out. Whenever they asked him to play, very few mental errors. He's a better athlete than you think. And he, I don't think Gannon was really well, – because the question was asked by Ruben Frank about being a part-time to full-time player. Because what get what Gannon doesn't know, maybe he knows that he's not saying, but I'm not ruling it. The, the way this offseason has gone, and the Eagles have been so aggressive after a slow start, Mike. Because yeah. you and I talked about this on your show. Gosh, why the, why aren't they doing anything? And as we always say on Inside the Birds, we've learned this the hard way. They don't line up till September. The, the team knows that they need to do something. They're going to do it. Now, we didn't know about the A.J. Brown thing until it actually happened. It didn't get out. Uh, until until the draft, it actually happened during the draft. But just the, the Kobe Dean, uh, Kaiser White went to your school. The getting getting um, the corner, obviously Bradbury, formerly the Giants, who's, who's the best free agent corner out there by far. All the moves that they've made on defense, we haven't talked about offense because this is about Gannon. They're going to be better. Like we all know that, but how much better remains to be seen. in Epps, by the way. Is probably better than most people understand, and I'm, I'm hoping that they don't. I just hope they give him a shot to be that guy. Now, of course, if they got involved with the free agency, there's some there's some decent free agency safeties out there, Mike. Uh, to to be honest here, but Marcus Epps is just as good as most of these guys. Uh, Adam Kaplan from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast, Football at Four. John Gannon spoke today uh, as OTAs getting underway here, and. Um, Jeff Mosher, your partner over there at Inside the Birds, asked right. about the pass rush. And you had seven, eight guys. How they intend to use those guys? How do we anticipate? Like Brandon Graham, is he going to be a full-time guy? Josh Sweat? Um, you know, how do you think they end up using the amount? And they, there's a lot of guys who do different things. Reddick, you know, how does he mix in? Um, how do you see this six, seven, eight guys? Derek Barnett's another one all working out. You know what's funny? If you look at the transcript, I don't. I did not see. I listened to almost the entire thing. Yep. And I heard Jeff's question. In fact, I heard two of them. They don't. They did not show up in the um, in the transcript. That oh, actually, no. I see it. I, I see it. Okay. See, his Jeff's name is to the to the far right. Okay. See the way that they line these questions up. You see the because Jeff's question was twofold. It talks about the seven or eight deep. I see. I see where his name is. Okay. I found it. Yeah, he um he said the the thing that he responded to is the more pass rushers the better. Yeah, and there's there's obviously truth that because that helps you have better depth. Remember the rotation they had at seventeen, Mike? That was the secret sauce to Jim Schwartz's scheme in seventeen, is to have Chris Long coming off the bench, to have multiple rotations, to have Brandon Graham playing inside a nickel, to have Vinny Curry come in in nickel, uh, to to rotate guys, and if someone got hurt, to have one guy step in. We they didn't have that last year because they just didn't have the depth. Now right. they have it, and, and that though he didn't really answer Jeff's question very deep, he just said, "Hey, the more the merrier." Right, the more, and more that as he said to have to affect the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. and and Cleveland, I guess we would both agree that with Brandon Graham out, that Josh Sweat was clearly the best pass rusher they had, and he's you know an inexperienced guy that you, you didn't know what really you were you were going to have. 
you know, when Graham went out for him to be the main guy, you know, you're kind of going in with a guy that you don't know that much about, how much production you're going to get for him. You have a little better idea now. It's You wonder now what they think of him. Does he go to the top of the depth chart? Right, and he did say in, in, in uh, Gannon's, though he didn't want to give it up, what they're going to do, and I understand that. He says, we'll figure it out. His quote was, we'll figure that out as we get closer to game day and then on game day how we deploy those guys. Well, we know that. Once they have four guys that they like, if when if they play 43, because we think they're going to be multiple, every indication we've gotten this offseason would, would explain that. Now you have Jordan Davis. He should be multiple. But how they do it, do they go 4-3, three, 3-4? Three, Are they junking 5-2? We don't know any of this yet. The percentage that they do each front, we're not going to know. Like he, pro- he, of course, he knows because he's the, he's not going to give that out. Now it's funny. We saw a bunch of things last summer in training camp. They did some of it. Some of it they didn't do because Mike, quite frankly, I don't think they had enough talent on defense. Now they sure do, and there's no excuse. Well, on this conference, you know, he Jeff asked about the pass rushers. How do what do they do with Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Milton Williams, Jordan Davis? Yeah. Are they only playing one of those guys at a time, two of those guys at a time? How do they get all four uh, that that those guys in is going to have rotation? How do you see those four guys getting enough snaps? Right, it's funny because he taught. He was asked by Ed Kratz about Milton Williams and about Dean. And look, he, he, you know, he talked about Kyron Johnson, who was a six-round pick. And just all the group of players that they got in this offseason. The, the question will be going forward, depending on what front, because here's the thing that I, is going to happen. They didn't do enough scheme versatility last year because I don't think, number one, they didn't have the players. Plus, it was Gannon's first year. I don't think he was as comfortable enough to do it. But because they've added the two linebackers, Jordan Davis is the, as well, who's going to have to play as a first round pick, Nicobe Dean, Kaiser White. And other players. And now you've got Milt Williams, who's got scheme versatility. Now you can do more stuff. And you could ch- you could throw change-ups. They're going to do things they didn't show last year, Mike, that none of us saw. And and when they come out week one against Detroit, 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 who got absolutely manhandled by the Eagles, Detroit's not going to know this stuff because they're not going to show it. They'll show it in training camp, but they don't get access to that tape. Right. So unless we reporters talk about, oh, yeah, Boy, the Eagles ran a lot of 34 in today's practice. There's no way they're going to know about that. Yeah, you know, it's because you're mentioning that for the listener, they open up with Detroit. So Detroit will not have really right. an idea of what, what they will look like. Much like last year, they caught Atlanta completely off guard early in the season and, you know, rolled them in, in the first week of the season. They didn't know what to expect from Nick Sirianni and Philip. Now you're not going to know what to expect from John Gannon's defense. You're, you're, that's what you're kind of referring to. Right, right. But again, they've got versatility. You know, he talks about Epps. He was asked about Epps a bunch of things. And one of the things that Gannon talked about is just one step at a time being consistent. That is why he got on the field as much as he did. And did, and he did well on what they asked him to do. And that's why right now, I, I unless they make a trade for safety, which is, you know, I mean, you, can't, you could say never say never. Their confidence in, in Epps. It's pretty high from what we understand. Now, the question with Epps is, and Gannon was not asked about this, do you see him as a 75% snap guy, 50%? That we don't know yet. I, I would assume if he's going to start, he's going to be 75 to, if not more than that. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, who's the bat? 
who's the third safety now? Is is Wallace really ready for that? Right. He hasn't shown that. No, and, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, going back to Jordan Davis, you know, that they kind of hinted that he could be a pass rusher. John Gannon was asked, you know, what, what are you going to ask him to do? He said a lot of the same things, but uh, is that something – that people think that he could develop into a pass rusher, a guy who could get up the field and get to the quarterback at this level? Because he didn't play down a lot of snaps in college. Right, Mike. Right, Mike. Down the road, see, he was not doing that in college. And that's the question. Because remember now, he didn't talk about it in this press conference, but they've re- sort of rededicated, they've kind of reassigned the coaches' rooms. They've kind of redefined it. This guy will do, this coach will do this, this guy will do that. So that's the big question going forward is, what can they get out of Jordan Davis as a pass rusher? Yeah. And he seemed to be a little bit more bullish than the reality because the word around the league was prior to the draft, the one knock on Jordan Davis was he just didn't show enough as a pass rusher. I, I know he played limited snaps. Yeah. But in those limited snaps, though he had violent hands and he's long, show us the, the great pass rush moves that we didn't see. Right. Because there a lot of people are making out, well, they had a lot of blowouts and Georgia needs to get these guys on the bench so they don't transfer into games. That was kind of the way that it's been why he doesn't play a lot of, of the snaps. Real quick, um, we're going to move it to um, – I want to get some front office thoughts where Andy Wydell is, but um, what is with this international home mar- – like, why are they making this – why can't people just market wherever they want to market? I can't be the well, Eagles you know, and go to Australia and put my right. – I don't get that. I uh, understand this, though. The NFL wants to be like Major League Baseball, be truly international – we know the Jaguars for years and will continue to do this to play a game in England. Uh, the late, you know, I remember when I worked for ESPN, I had a very strong league source tell me before a lifetime. <laughs> well, he said in the next 15 to 20 years, and he said before a lifetime is over here, he goes, we're going we're gonna to be playing. We're actually going to have a team overseas. I'm like, that's not going to happen. No way. This guy's pretty strong. This guy would know. Because I'm telling you, we're going to have a team over there. And it, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't go into the logistics. He said someday they're going to figure it out and make money over there. And look, moving, having teams have marketing rights regionally, uh, you know, overseas. Sure. Yeah. Look, it's all about being international. Well, I don't know why they just wouldn't say, go do what you want, instead of saying, okay, you're allowed to go to, right? you know. Well, because they don't, the league wants to have control over what their their, their teams individually do. Because you can't just, go ahead, do whatever you want. They want to have control over it. The league has to have control, but... Um, they have, you know, they made all these announcements this week, but there's not a lot of detail. I'm interested to see what, what, what these rights are. Okay. Well, you're going to go, you've got Australia. Well, what does that mean? Right. Like, we don't know what that means. Like, like marketing rights. Now, television rights, um, retail set. We just don't know what that means yet. Um, because you have 17 games now, Adam. I threw out the idea of each team gets eight home, eight road, and one neutral site international game. Maybe that's how they kind of – so that you everybody gets eight and eight, and then that 17th game is an international game. Well, the pro- right, but the problem is they only want to have it where the facilities are great. This is another talk that just with the league over the years. It, they're real big on – minimizing issues because remember the field for years players were slipping the clubs would complain about that great stadiums for fans there are a lot of reasons why they don't go to certain countries because they don't feel like the facilities are good enough so if you're going to have if you want to have a game like one of your like like the jaguars might 
the Jaguars love having it, whether it's in Wembley or whatever. Their response, as I understand, has been pretty good. But you have to be careful of not go. You got to go to the right countries where everything is going to be set up right. All right. Uh, what's the latest with Andy Wydell and the Eagles front office situation, which seems very fluid by the days almost? Yeah, so Je- Mosher and I are pretty good authority that um, it's going to happen this week. What we reported first on, e- on Inside the Birds, uh, what is today? Wednesday, Tuesday? Yep. On our Monday show, we dropped it. Another way to get Andy Weidel in there, if he doesn't get the GM job, is to be the assistant GM with Omar Khan, who's got a very good chance he does their contracts. If Omar Khan's the GM, do not be shocked if Andy Weidel becomes his assistant GM. We're not saying it's definitely happening, to be clear here. But what we're told by multiple league sources is, Mike, we put this out yesterday, it's definitely in the consideration if Andy doesn't get the GM job and Omar gets it because they're going to, the, the Steelers are going to set Omar up with uh, a football guy and Andy's a darn good football guy. And plus, he started his career with the Steelers. They know him. He's from Pittsburgh. And what we're also told is Khan and Wydell, Andy Weidel know each other a little bit. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But John Spitek also interviewed a former Eagles exec who's uh, Jason Light's right-hand man with the Bucks. All right, Adam Kaplan, InsideTheBirds.com, the Inside the Birds podcast. The latest one is out. It dropped uh, yesterday morning. You can check that out to get all the insight on the Eagles offseason. John Gannon today uh, spoke. Good stuff. Adam Kaplan, he'll be back on Friday's edition of Football at Four. One more thing. Q&A drops tomorrow. We're t- Jeff said that... Uh, Heavy scheme-based show. They're going to break down not only the tomorrow show at 6 a.m. Eastern on every platform, YouTube and, and Pod. They're breaking down the Eagles' offensive defensive schemes going forward. So listen to that. I cannot wait for that. And that is uh, Quentin Michael and Jason Avant Q&A show tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. on the Inside the Birds platforms. All right, pal. I'll talk to you Friday. Thanks, man. Adam Kaplan's back Friday for football at 4. You guys are right there. We've got the headlines coming up next. Michael Kasky Blomain in about 17 minutes tells us the three biggest all season questions for the Sixers. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to the Sports SPN. Right, 428 time for the headlines. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Henning's my producer. These are stories that uh, stood out to us today. Well, we talked earlier in the show about how there's 100 days to start the college football season. Give it to me now. Well, one college football tradition has been axed for this year. Since 1940, Nebraska football fans have released red balloons after the Cornhuskers score their first touchdown of every game That tradition will not happen this year. It's gone with my bag. Athletic Director Trev Albert explained in an interview today that the global helium shortage is the main reason that they will not be handing out red balloons before games. He cited supply chain issues and that the major supplier of helium in the world is Russia. Good grief. And apparently there's a shortage of red-colored balloons as well due to other shipping concerns around the world. And Alberts went on to explain there are production issues, it is challenging, and quote, so we have asked the university because we need helium for these balloons and we need it for medical purposes at the hospital before the balloons. 
that we will do away with the tradition for this Since year. 1940, this has been going on. Yes. Wow, I didn't even know about the tradition. You know, I went to the store today, by the way. I didn't get a bag, but they did give me a plastic bag to put my <laughs> salad dressing in. Can you, you believe showed that? showed me this. They didn't give me a bag for anything, but the lady took my two little tiny salad dressing cups and gave me a huge plastic bag for the salad dressing. She said, oh, this might leak. Yeah. I was like, well, can I put the rest of my stuff in this bag? <laughs> uh, Albert, the, the current athletic director, is also the former All-American linebacker in Nebraska in the 90s. He's always well aware of how important this balloon thing is to the people they're looking into alternatives including a digital graphics display on the stadium's video boards to keep the tradition alive not needed i mean if you're just gonna get go if you're gonna end their tradition right right yeah it's uh (laughs) apparently it's a very controversial thing people are not happy about the no balloon rule (laughs) thoughts I mean, I'm not, I didn't know about the thing anyway, so I'm not all that broken up about it, but, you know, the helium shortage, I mean, I can't believe that's happening right now. All that's just a little too convoluted for me. I got some sports media news for you. NBC Sports announced today that play-by-play broadcaster Al Michaels, who will be the voice of Thursday Football, has been named to an emeritus role with the company and will call a playoff game for the network this season. For who? NBC Sports. Oh, they get they have two games this year? Do they get that extra wild card game? And Al Michaels will be on one of them. Okay, that's nice. I mean, I know when this whole thing was happening, like Al Michaels, where was he going to go? Having him do a playoff game or another Super Bowl, there were some thoughts that maybe he would try to get the Monday Night Football job with ESPN. Well, now he's going to be calling Amazon, according to this report, and they announced by NBC Sports, he'll be calling the Amazon games all Thursday night, yep. season long. Kirk Herb Street. And then the one playoff wild card game extra for, for NBC, because NBC is basically, you know, saying, you know what, we like you, so uh, well, it works up and out. So they have two playoff games, NBC. That's what the report says here, yes. Uh, I got some quick uh, rating stuff for you. Heat Celtics on NBA, ABC, 6.3 million. Florida Tampa Bay on TNT had 1.3 million. Colorado St. Louis on TNT had 1.2. For what it's worth, NBC, uh, the NBA destroyed NCIS and everything else. <laughs> in yeah, the demos. Was, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. Uh, Sunday Chicago Sky versus Washington Mystics game. That averaged 603,000 viewers. It peaked at 790,000 viewers. It's the fifth most watched WNBA regular season game ever on ABC. So uh, a couple of uh, sports TV ratings. We were talking yesterday about the golf. Uh, The golf had a pretty big weekend as well. Uh, they peaked at over nine million for the playoff holes on Sunday. I was one of those nine million. Had that going on as well. Uh, Friday night, Warriors Mavs did seven point six million. Rangers Carolina on ESPN up over two million. So you got a hockey game over two million, but people ask all the time, why basketball not hockey? Well, you see the difference in who's watching these games. It gives you your answer to your question.
Yeah, demographics have a lot to do with a lot 5.2 million watched the PGA on Sunday. Peak of 9.3. Now, back to the question you had previously, Mike. How many of those people actually did not know Tiger was not playing when they tuned in? Who knows? I mean, Saturday they might have been out and about. It was a beautiful day. Figured out, I'll watch Tiger on Sunday. Right. And then he wasn't there. And they just kind of maybe stuck around, it seems like. I got one other quickie. Go for it. Um, the story about the Pro Bowl, all right? The NFL is discussing the Pro Bowl week and ways to improve it. They're looking for ideas of what to do. They're even including the possibility of eliminating the Pro Bowl traditional game and using that Sunday to promote and showcase the players. So, Ann Rappaport of the NFL Network asks, what are some alternatives? Well, my first instinct is I know they have the skills and the, you know, the showcase on Thursday nights right now on ESPN where, you know, they have the quarterbacks throw to the moving targets. They have the guys do different drills, you know, run an obstacle course. So, you know, maybe there's a way you can turn that into a, you know, a more fleshed out production. You know, that might be one option. Because at the end of the day, the game pretty much is pathetic. It's not really a football game. I have no problem with them, one, getting rid of the game, and two, doing nothing on that Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I have no issue with that at all. But you know they're going to do something. You know what they could do, okay? Here's an idea. What's your idea? Okay, this might be a little radical. Not necessarily radical is not the right word. But doesn't the NFL, aren't, don't they have some sort of partnership with the XFL? Uh, well, they have a agreement to share like information because the XFL they're going to have the XFL be the experimental place for different rules and ideas. Okay. So what you do is you have the XFL open their season on that Sunday and have the NFL kind of get behind it in terms of promoting it, having players at the game, interviews with the pro bowlers. So the people who make the pro bowl, they're there at that game. We talked about before, given the rub that would give the rub to that league. Now, do they look at it as competition or do they look at it as a way that they can grow the game, grow football? You start on that Sunday, all the XFL teams, and you have pro bowlers at all the different venues for interviews throughout the game. The NFL gets the rub to promote its Super Bowl. Hey, don't forget next week. Of course, you're not going to forget, but it's a way to utilize Sunday and celebrate football. A new league starts the Sunday before the Super Bowl. And then, of course, you would say, well, what about the next weekend? Maybe you don't play on Super Bowl Sunday. You take either a bye week or you play on Saturday or you play. You probably don't want to play on Saturday because Super Bowl. Uh, maybe you want to play on Saturday. Get you kind of amped up for more football. But there you go. That's an idea. It's better than the Pro Bowl. It's an idea. Gee, thanks. That wasn't a ringing endorsement. Well, the reason I'm saying like that is because part of the problem with the idea I was going to say is, is that there's a lot of egos involved with these things as we know. I know, but the the NFL can't really think that the XFL is competition. Look, the, the Rock said in an interview he would love for them to be a, a have an affiliation with the NFL in terms of maybe like a minor league right. or a feeder program, but the NFL has been very apprehensive to get involved in any of that because 
The NFL doesn't want to commit any money to anything because what happened with NFL Europe? Don't have to. This is them just kind of giving the rub. This is like when WWE let the ECW guys come on Monday Night Raw. Right. Uh, listen, I know what you're saying. I'm just letting you know that the NFL's got a weird way of looking at things. I know, but if they were really trying to grow the game and have this league... Look, more football isn't hurting them, it's helping them. It's more people doing whatever they can to try to get to their league. Really quick, before we hit the break, I want to squeeze this story in. So there's a report from The Athletic detailing the latest with Russell Westbrook. The Lakers are considering not trading Westbrook. Now, there's been a lot of speculation that they were going to, but according to this report in The Athletic, the problem right now is that teams want the Lakers to trade a first-round pick with Westbrook to unload him. And the Lakers have zero interest in doing so because they don't have a lot of first-round first round picks. Pick. They don't have a lot of first-round picks, period, moving forward. Now, this flies in the face, as you remember, because LeBron James wore the Les Steed shirt saying bleep the picks. So we might be looking at a situation where the Lakers... Do they have to take, you know, pennies on the dollar to get rid of Westbrook to make keep LeBron happy? Interesting. Well, it's a very tough situation to try to improve that roster. It, believe me. And I just read a report here that says Bradley Beal is leaning towards signing a $250 million max to remain in Washington. Yeah, apparently there's reports. I don't know how accurate some of them are, but apparently Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma are like video game buddies. <laughs> you can play video games anywhere. That's why. That's my point. Like, why does it, why does it be your teammate? They probably don't play in the same house anyway. They exactly. Play, yeah. Like, who? It's not like he's going over his house. Hey, man, let me grab the controller. No, they're both sitting in their houses with the thing on their exactly. the, uh, the the thing on their head. You know the. Uh, three headset. questions facing the Sixers this offseason. Michael Kasky Blomain has the questions and the answers. That's next. This is the Sports Bat. Now, back with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 445, Pete Thompson in 15 minutes. I wonder if he knows about the red balloons at uh, Nebraska. He spent some time in Nebraska. Was he uh, in on the uh, red balloon tradition? We'll ask him in 15 minutes. Uh, Michael Kasky Blomain covers the NBA, covers the Sixers. He joins us now. Three questions on the Sixers he has over at CBSSports.com right now. And he joins me here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. MKB, welcome back, man. Hey, Mike, how's it going, man? All good, my friend. Uh, you know, these NBA playoffs. We have so many blowouts. Somebody texted in last week asking, why all the blowouts? Do you have a hypothesis in your mind why so many blowouts? No, not really, Mike, especially in the same series like we've seen in that, that Heat Celtics series. It's kind of inexplicable. I mean, you know, maybe teams coming out with a little bit a lack of energy after coming off of a win with the other team, you know, clearly competing harder, but... That just shouldn't be the case in the conference finals. So to me, there's you know there's no clear cut reason of why why it's going down like this. Crazy, so far. Yeah, yeah. Especially last. I mean, last night Boston didn't sh- Boston actually shot worse than Miami did last night and still won by twenty. It was a weird game last night. But I guess you know one question that has to be asked, Mike, is you know we wondered about Embiid and, and him not being healthy and how that affected the series, and now you're seeing how it's affecting the Heat that Jimmy Butler's not a hundred percent. 
Yeah, I think, you know, as is often the case in the playoffs, Mike, I think, you know, the winner, it's a war of attrition, whichever team can stay the healthiest. And a lot of times the case is whichever team is able to, to do it. I think a lot of teams right now are playing the what if game. I'm sure Bucks fans are saying, you know, what if Chris Middleton was healthy, so on and so forth. Obviously, the Sixers with Joel. But, you know, at this point in the season, it's obviously a matter of just which guys can, can stay healthiest and stay out on the floor. But, uh, you know, as a fan or uh, someone in Philadelphia, I think watching this Heat team, which, you know, is clearly beatable and has weaknesses, I think it's just a tough situation to have to sit and think, like, hey, you know, if Joel had been able to go those first two games, you know, would the Sixers be playing the Celtics right now instead of the Heat? Well, they're not, which means they have questions. Let's look at your biggest three questions this offseason over at CBSSports.com. Michael Kasky, Blomain. Um the biggest one, what happens with James Harden? How is this all going to go down? Yeah, I think, like you said, Mike, that's obviously the one that's kind of hanging hanging over the franchise and is really going to kind of dictate the way the rest of the offseason goes, um, you know, things like that. At this point, it's, it's obviously fluid. They, their discussions need to be had. To me, the best-case scenario would be James Harden simply opting into his player option for next season at, you know, the, the price tag that it is, playing that season out, and then kind of going from there. Uh, you know, seeing how he looks after an off season of full training, he said to us, you know, several times since he's been in Philly that last off season he really didn't get to, you know, work to the level that he would have liked because he was dealing with that hamstring injury that he suffered in the playoffs with Brooklyn. So, you know, with, if he gets a, a full healthy off season under his belt, him and Joel would obviously have another full season, a much larger sample size to see how that duo looks. And then at that point next summer, you could go from there and figure out, you know, how how to go. It's very possible, even likely, that James will want, you know, a little bit more added financial security in terms of extra years instead of just the player option moving forward. So, you know, that's really, I think, what it's going to come down to. They're going to have to sit at a table and try to figure out what works. James, after they lost to the Heat, said that he would, you know, be willing to, to work his contract so that it would help the Sixers, you know, be contenders, maybe free up some space to do other things. So, you know, once they figure that out, that's, to me, the main domino in the offseason. Once that falls, we'll be able to see, you know, how the rest of the pieces kind of fall into place. Um, I guess another question will be Tyrese Maxey. There's two ways to look at this. One, how much better does he get? Or two, do they have to use him to improve the team? Yeah, I think especially, you know, contract-wise, Mike, he's still on his rookie deal, and the Sixers are pretty limited in terms of what else they can do. Obviously, with Joel's contract, two years remaining on Tobias's contract, whatever they decide to do with James, you know, it's not like they have tons of free cap space to go add guys. So a lot of that improvement, you know, around Joel is going to have to come from within the roster. And to me, that starts with, obviously, Tyrese, who took an enormous leap, you know, from his rookie to his sophomore year, was one of the leading candidates for most improved players his ability as a shooter I think was kind of a revelation as you know jumped up from 30 to over 42 percent this season third in the league so you know I think at a year ago at this time the Sixers were looking at him as like yeah he's a you know a solid piece a good guy that has a lot of potential and now they're looking at him as a building block as a guy that's a you know a foundation of the franchise alongside Joel I don't want to say he's untouchable in trade talks but you know, very close to that stature right now is the, the vibe I've gotten. How many team. guys in the league would you actually consider trading Maxi for? I mean, what level of guy? 
Uh, I mean, at this point, the only situation I think you could talk yourself into it is if you're really getting a, another all-star caliber player. Like if it, you know, if he was used to facilitate a Zach Levine type deal or Bradley Beal type deal, you know, if he was collateral in that, I'm not saying that you should do that. But to me, that's the only situation right now where the Sixers would even consider, you know, potentially moving on with him if it was going to land them a third guy like that to pair alongside with James and Joel. Uh, Michael Cassidy Blooming, CBS Sports on the NBA, the Sixers. Um, all right. What is Matisse Thibel's future in Philadelphia? It's it's murky to me right now, Mike. He's due for an extension this offseason. Uh, is he going to get it? I don't know. Is, is the team going to trade him? Like, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of questions involving him, and his play kind of didn't give us any answers. He's obviously... You know, an elite perimeter defender. He was just named to all defensive second team uh, earlier this week for the second year in a row. But at the same time, everyone, you know, everyone that watches the Sixers will quickly point to the lack of improvement on offense and how that makes him, you know, even borderline unplayable at times in postseason matchups as we saw. So I think, you know, I, I talked to a, a source with the Sixers that said they're not actively shopping Matisse, but, you know, pretty much anything seems to be on the table this offseason. So I think they would certainly be open to, to offers, to entertain offers. And if the right one came knocking, I think they would accept it. But at the same time, they're not, you know, naive. And they realize that outside of Matisse, there's really no other reliable perimeter defender on this team right now, especially with Danny, you know, suffering that injury and who knows about his future with the team. So, you know, they, they would be willing, I think, for the right price to move on from him. But at the same time, if you do and you don't bring any other good perimeter defenders back, you're kind of stuck. Uh, and we had heard the Bulls might have interest. There's a connection there with Mark Eversley, who was with the Sixers. Michael Cassidy Blomain, you tweeted on Friday, there's no truth to the ongoing speculation that Doc Rivers could be traded to the Lakers per a source with team knowledge. The Sixers want Rivers as their coach. He wants to be there. Well, uh, Mark Stein seems to disagree that the Lakers have not abandoned hope that Rivers will become available to hire this summer. So... Does he know something we don't? I, I don't think necessarily, Mike. I think it's just a difference of perspective. You know, his report was speaking from the Lakers side of things that they haven't given up hope, which is completely possible. From our side, you know, from what I've been told, I reached out to the team directly about these rumors, uh, you know, to see what they said before, you know, I proceeded to write anything. And they, I was told unequivocally that there's no truth to them, that the Sixers want him here, that everything Daryl Morey said publicly on at the exit interviews after they lost to Miami was, you know, was the truth and that Doc is – energized and excited to have an offseason with Joel and James and the team that, you know, he was he was proud of the work they did this past year and wants to build on top of it. You know, it's obviously, you know, you could take that with a grain of salt from what a team says to a, a reporter and if there's, you know, potentially some things going on behind the scenes. But to me, every it's been uniform since the season ended that the Sixers want Doc here. The Lakers might still be holding out interest, but that would obviously require the Sixers to change the stance. And at least publicly so far, they haven't. Michael Cassie, Blomain, CBS Sports. Uh, got about a minute left. Uh, does Golden State end this tonight? You know, I'm going to hope not, Mike. Just just to make things a little bit spicier, I'm going to say Dallas extends this by one game. You know, 3-0 back against the wall. They're still in Dallas. I would say maybe they go down swinging and push it to a fifth game. I don't see it getting any farther than that, obviously, game five in Golden State. But just to make it, you know, avoid the sweep, make it interesting, I'll say the Warriors, uh, the Mavericks force one more. 2-2 two -two back to Miami. How's this one going to happen? <laughs> uh, do you want to flip a coin? Well, whatever comes up. <laughs> well, game seven <laughs> will be Sunday night against Sunday night baseball for the Phillies. I I'm, I'm a little concerned here. 
I'm sticking with the Celtics, Mike. I think they're a better team. I think they're better offensively. I think they're deeper. Uh, it's been a weird series. I picked them to start in seven games. I'm going to hold on to that. I think they'll hopefully kind of build off that momentum from last night and ride into to close out the series. Well, uh, if we know anything about that series, whatever you think, go the other way, and you'll probably be right if you go that way. So, Michael Caskey, Blow Maine, will be back on Tuesday, and we will have game one of the NBA Finals about ready to start. Next week will be on Thursday, so we'll be able to preview. Uh, we'll know the matchup uh, when Michael's back next week right here on the Sports Batch Live. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one, man. Michael Gasky blomain from CBS Sports. He covers the NBA. Of course, you used to read him over at 973ESPN.com. He does a great job of covering the NBA, and we have him every Tuesday here during the basketball season. By the way, the NBA Draft. June 23rd, we're closing in on that. We're actually inside a month now on the NBA draft. When we come back, Pete Thompson, does he know about the red balloon tradition at Nebraska? That and more next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, final hour of the show. Thanks, MKB. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. You heard his conversation about Doc Rivers and how that thing all could be happening. Tyrese Maxey, keep an eye on. Um, Matisse Thibel, this offseason, he's one guy that could be on the move. More Sixers offseason stuff on the way. Of course, all offseason here on your home for Sixers basketball, 97.3 ESPN. It is a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday with Thompson. The PT is here. Sports Pass brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Later on this hour, we'll give you our final college football destinations for this season that we want to go to 100 days away from the start of the college football season we got a lot to discuss pete thompson would be nice if he answered his phone when we called him if he's going to uh, be on the phone and he doesn't answer his phone that's not a good way to hey you got to call me on my phone he tells us today instead of the video feed and then the guy doesn't even answer his phone i mean come on man peter michael i'm on the phone i'm here I mean, you know, <laughs> I got here eventually. I know. We said, you got to call me on the phone. We call you, you didn't answer. You're three minutes late. We called you, called you, called you. No answer. <laughs> I'm in Shimog, man. I mean, I'm on 206, man. I mean, I'm driving, man. Like, come on here. <laughs> so you're blaming Shimong's cell phone I'm service actually, here. I, I'm actually in a very infamous spot that you and I have eaten wings from many times. What, are you just sitting in the parking lot of uh, Piccadilly? That is correct. You know, I was at the Piccadilly in Atlantic City on Saturday for the first time since I was probably 21. They have good wings as well. I mean, uh, the only time I've been to the one in Atlantic City, and I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story, but I was on a PT night, you know, where I'd hit all the local establishments, like, say, in Summers Point, and then I decided to partake in something in Margate, and then you go up into Atlantic City, and then maybe you donate some money to a, a gaming establishment, right? And so, I mean, you know, 
it was like basically it was like wings for breakfast. Okay, let's yeah. put it that way: wings for breakfast. Well, I was at that and chili cook-off thing. I did the chili cook-off thing on Saturday, which was there in the Orange Loop, and we had parked over on Tennessee Avenue. And you know, once we, I said the door's wide open, uh, why don't we take a walk inside and grab a beer? There was a nice guy, uh, you know, served us a beer. There was a little uh, birthday party going on. It was a great little spot. Oh, it's a fun little spot, but I'll never forget being there at like six in the morning when really it's like you, the bartender, and like nobody else. And, and a, a bunch of guys came in, and it was uh, Selden, the former heavyweight champion of the world. Bruce Selden was in with his maintenance crew. Like he, he basically uh, was working for the city of Atlantic City. And, yeah. Uh, I got to buy him a beer, you, you know, know, at 6 in the morning. It's funny you say it. Well, I say normally at 6 in the morning is when the Piccadilly in Atlantic City is at its most full. Is well, That's when it's the most packed is at that time. <laughs> now, Bruce Selden, one time, we were playing the regional baseball tournament in uh, Sandcastle Stadium. And there's Bruce Selden. Okay. And Bruce Selden came over and gave a speech to our team that had my the hair on my arm standing up. Nice, yeah. but nice. Well, I can't remember. I don't think it was his son, but I think it was his nephew, Isaiah, interned for me at the TV station back in the day. So there was a little bit of a connection that I had with him. But, I mean, you know, this guy was the heavyweight champion of the world at one point, and, yeah. and now he's a working man, you know, and, and God bless him for that. I thought the least I could do is buy the champ a beer. So I did, and <laughs> he seemed very pleased about that. Uh, PT, all right, we got a bunch. Now, number one. Uh, we were discussing, Josh had a story regarding a balloon tradition that is no longer at Nebraska. Now, I was not aware of this tradition. Number one, are you aware of it? And number two, are you sad to hear that it's coming to an end? Number one, I'm very much aware of it. Uh, that's been going on forever, that after they score the first touchdown, they release red balloons, you know, and uh, sadly, the Nebraska offense has been so poor lately that uh, it's, they've held on to those balloons a lot. I was going to say, they but, shouldn't have... Yeah, I was aware they, of it. They shouldn't be losing balloons. They haven't scored in like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it's, I mean, God, Nebraska football just not relevant like it was in the 90s, that's for sure. But, um, now, yeah, I didn't know it was ending, but I, I understand why. Um, the only thing I smirked at was it makes me laugh because, once again, poor Trev Alberts, who's a you know, he played at Nebraska, was an All-American, uh, was on ESPN for years, was a uh, former Indianapolis Colt, like, played college football, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Once again, he's Darth Vader. There's going to be people out there pissed off at Trev Alberts like it's his fault that he can't get helium for the damn balloons, you know? I mean, uh, I, I don't normally defend Trev Alberts, but there's really not a lot the guy can do. All right. Well, uh, are you sad that the tradition, like, is it like, ah, we're like, ah, whatever. It was kind of frivolous. I went to one game as a fan, and I did not realize that the 110,000 people out there were, or 120 or whatever it is, were all sitting, like, cheek to cheek on, like, bleachers. So my dainty rear end was like, this sucks. <laughs> I need to get back to the field or the press box. So I only went. I've only been to one game at Memorial Stadium in my life as a fan, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sad that the tradition ends, but I understand why it's ending. So and, did everybody you know, in the whole? Frankly, it's probably. Did everybody in the crowd get a balloon when you entered the stadium? 
Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Then they did it, like, as a charity thing. So they weren't handing the balloons out. You know, maybe in the in the 40s when they started the tradition, they handed everybody one. But, you know, what they began to make it was, you know, uh, you know uh, dollars for cancer or research or fight against, you know, whatever it was. You know, they the, the Husker, uh, Tom Osborne had a, a team teammates fund, like to fund underprivileged youth and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was always a charity aspect to it. I think you bought a balloon for a buck, you know what I mean? But, again, it, it was easy to get a balloon, and it was certainly easy to fill them over the helium. But if this is where we're at right now with shipping issues, and, and not for nothing, here we are talking, you and me, Mike Gill, in a state where you can't get a damn bag, and I've been laughing at you all week. As uh, I, Susan and I heard you talking the other day, she's like, I'm going to text in. I'm gonna text in. I go, Susan. I go. He's trying to fire you up. Like she, as a uh, as a frontline grocery store worker, my girlfriend was very upset with your analysis on the bags. <laughs> well, funny because today, just I don't want to go on and on, but I got it. I went to a place. I had a salad, and they gave me the dressing. Right. She didn't put the salad in the plastic bag, but she put the dressing in a a full plastic bag and said, oh, this might spill. Here you go. And gave me two of the little dressing cups in the plastic bag. Yeah, like I went and got two Kaiser rolls from the deli. I got tuna salad and chicken salad. And the guy said, do you want a bag? And I said, you have one? And he goes, yeah, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so I took, I mean, I had the plastic bag, obviously, for the Kaiser rolls, like you'd find anywhere at the deli or whatever, you know, like or in the produce section. But then he actually had a brown paper bag that I could put everything in. And I yeah. was very pleased with that. Well, I, I just found it funny at the checkout. She was like, here's your bag for your, <laughs> the, the rest of the stuff could have fit in the bag. She only put the dressing in the bag, though. I was like, well, what is this? Oh, whatever. Uh, all right, yeah, PT. No it's crazy. I, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, according to some reports, the Flyers have interviewed John Tortorella. Thoughts, PT? Uh, then I would uh, ask to be co-credentialed with Kevin Durso just so I could get some spittle on me when he utters profanity that you can't use in his pregame and postgame media availabilities. I mean, uh, my, I love Torts. Do I, do I think he's a results guy, though? No, but he'll certainly light a fire under their butts and hold people accountable. I mean, the bottom line is, uh, AV and Dave Hextall, neither of the, the last two coaches have held players accountable for poor play. Now, part of it is the system, part of it is the, the talent level, but I think Tor- Tortorella would certainly be an improvement, uh, certainly over Mike freaking yo, but I digress. Now, I would like to see them get Barry Trotz, but I don't think Trotz wants them. And then, of course, I'm just going to say his name again because he's kind of lurking out there. You know, now this is not a sexy pick, but, you know, I know David Quinn kind of got screwed over by the Rangers, and I think he's a good talent developer. And David Quinn's coached on multiple occasions with the U.S. Developmental League, you know. So if the guy can coach up-and-coming players, then why couldn't he coach established NHLers? And that's what it's going to be, you know, for the Flyers to improve, they need to improve their talent level, and they need to find young players and get the most out of them. And I don't know that Tortorella is going to get the most out of young players because I think, quite frankly, he's going to scream at them and peel the paint off the walls. Yeah, well, by the way, Tortorella is um, interviewed, I guess, 
today or, or at some point he has interviewed for the job. That according to Kevin Weeks. Uh, Barry Trotz is scheduled to interview this week according to Sportsnet. Now, um, John Clark uh, posted on Instagram that he says, I'm told the Flyers have a wide range of candidates and they are looking for a proven track record of success. So it sounds like your guy would not be in the mix there, Quinn. But Oh, no, my guy's out then. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that, I mean, for like, I, I don't know. Do the, like, does Tortorella and Trotz fit where this team is? That's the thing for me. Like, I get a true, proven track record to say that that lines up with what um, the Flyers have said all offseason. Like, they think they don't think they're at rock bottom. They think they're we just need some health and, and we're back. You know, do we agree with that? Like, hey, we get Ryan Ellis back healthy. That's going to change the dynamic of a lot of things and and some other guys healthy. They're, they're trying to make it sound as if, uh, well, we're kind of closer than everybody thinks we are. Yeah, and I think it's like uh, alcoholism or the program AA. The first step toward recovery is admitting that you have a problem, and the Flyers have not hit. Uh, they are at rock bottom. I mean, God bless America. They're at rock bottom, and I can't believe that they can't see that. And, you know, as long I mean, you got to figure. So they fired Lane Vigneault. Know, they're on this coaching search, right? Uh, the next thing would be that they're, they're going to bounce out Chuck Fletcher. And then... Then what have you done? You've just reset the sundial and gone gone back or reset the hourglass and set yourself back again. Uh, I, quite frankly, uh, the, no coach is going to instantly make the team better. But there are, you know, it's Barry Trotz, it's Tortorella, it's Claude Julian. You know, there's guys out there that have coached in the league. There's another guy I'm forgetting uh, who was in – San Jose, and it's funny actually that I just made that reference. I think he uh, the the backstory was he had like a substance abuse problem. By substance, I mean he was hitting the bottle, you know. And I think he's uh, gone through a program, dried out, and he wants to coach again. And I'm blanking on what that guy's name is, um, but uh, but that's another guy that you know. And you know, hey, Philly likes a redemption story. Bring that guy in and let him whip the team into shape, and you know everybody can succeed together. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, Barry Trotz, as you mentioned, uh, I don't know that this is the spot that he's going to look at this roster and be like, uh, Jim Montgomery's who you're talking about, by the way, right? Yep, that's it. Thank you. Yep, Jim Montgomery. Yep, thank you. So I don't know that Barry Trotz is going to look at this team and be like, I can whip this team into shape. Like, they're just missing someone like me. Tortorella, I almost feel like the Flyers would um, think that that would get them on the, the back page of the paper. Oh, the fans would love it, and I think the people covering the team would enjoy it. You know, I mean, uh, tr- trust me, this guy, John Tortorella is Larry Boa wound up with, like, uh, you know, Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> I mean, it's like expletives plus passion plus screaming equals talent, you know. Um, but has Tortorella ever won a cup? I, I, I went to look back at his resume. I think he's been in the cup finals, but I don't think he's ever won a cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot. Like, I don't know. I, this team to me is so far off. But what do you do with a team that's so far off? Do you get an inexperienced guy? Do you get a veteran guy? Is there a middle ground? You know, that's the problem. They seem to me to be have no identity. They don't know what ends up. So where do you start when you don't know when ends up? 
You pray to God that Ryan Ellis that you spent all that money on can come back and be healthy. You pray to God that Ivan Provorov gets his head out of his rear end and, and stabilizes himself. He was never the same once Matt Niskanen left. And then you, uh, you, you try to hope that uh, whoever that person is can get the team off to a good start. You know, I mean, it, they're... They're just, uh, they're an absolute mess. It's the t- its my first love, probably, you know, it's like Eagles are one and the Flyers are 1A, and it breaks my heart that, that they're in such a bad shape right now, and, and they're so pathetic. Are you watching any uh, NHL playoffs there, PT? Yeah, sure am, uh, and, and I'm very much enjoying the Calgary-Edmonton series. Uh, that, that battle of Alberta, I was hoping it would go that way, and... You know, I'm not on the hate, the Giroux haters, too. Uh, I mean, Tampa's the best team out there, uh, certainly in the East, and uh, and it's obvious why Tampa skated circles around Florida, even though Florida won the President's Trophy. Um, so, hey, you know, the people that are trying to say, you think Giroux regrets not going to Col- Colorado, uh, it, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, I mean, wh- what's he going to do, right? I, I, now he has to figure out what, that's another year that Claude Giroux didn't win the Cup, but... To me, uh, the series that I've been enjoying the most has been the Colorado, uh, or the, excuse me, the Edmonton and Calgary series because you just you got exactly the the characters in that are unbelievable. And uh, Johnny Gaudreau's from South Jersey is you know had a bajillion points. Connor McDavid is basically the next Gretzky or Lemieux. I mean, he's so damn good. And uh, and they just hate each other. You know, I heard Barry Melrose on ESPN say, try to explain the series. They said, Barry, would you please try to explain why these teams hate each other so much? And he said, Edmonton is like the prep school guys, and Calgary is like the auto body shop, you know, or the farmers, you know. So you got the the rich elitists versus the I work for a living and pump my own gas, and uh, they just hate each other. Well, those are uh, the type of things that kind of, you know, ignite things. And uh, the, the, the NHL playoffs have been, have been living up to it. I mean, the NBA playoffs have been a mess in terms of non-competitive blowouts every single night. These hockey games, seemingly every year you have these unbelievable, but you're getting good matchups here. You got the, you know, the two Can- Canadian teams playing against each other. That Rangers um, Blue Jacket series has been all right. It has, you know, and I mean, even if you go a series back, like, I didn't, people were asking me who do I want to win. I, I just wanted good games, you know, and, and when, when the playoffs to me, like the hockey playoffs for me personally, started off by watching the Rangers in Pittsburgh uh, in game one of their series go to overtime and then another overtime, and I, I think it went to three, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm very much into both hockey series, and uh, am I watching the entire game? No. But I'll see an update on my phone and be like, hey, this is 2-2 going to the third. Yeah. I'm going to check this out and see. Like, you know, there was an unbelievable finish in the Tampa series. When Tampa played Florida, there was a game. It was like less than six seconds to go, Gil. And it was. It looked like it was headed to overtime. And all of a sudden, my phone said Tampa won. I was like, wait, what? And then I had to go look at it, and I put it on the big screen. And son of, son of a gun, they won. Yeah. <laughs> uh, PT, uh, now what did you think of the golf this weekend? I felt bad for the Chilean kid. Uh, that looked like one of my swings in the ShopRite LPGA uh, Pro-Am. You know, scared bleepless and could, couldn't get the club through. I mean, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He didn't have to hit driver there, Gil. He did not have to hit driver, and he, he should have just hit a three-wood. Heck, get up there with a five-iron and just pumped it down the middle of the... Punt it down the middle of the fairway and you'd be fine. But then the worst thing, and I talked to my brother about this today, 
is so he hits it in the water, right? You're one in the water, two out. Now you're hitting three. All he has to do, Gil, is make a par on that hole. But there's two things at play. Number one, you are in control of your drop. And you used to be like way back in the old days of golf, you'd have to turn around and drop it over your shoulder. But now you could actually drop it from knee level. Well, take a breath and make sure you're dropping the ball to give yourself a decent lie. He dropped the ball, and it disappeared, so he had a bad lie. I mean, you're kind of in control, and he got a terrible lie. Then he missed the green. You can't miss the green, especially when you have a penalty. So if he is one in, two out, three could have been on the green, and all he had to do was par to win, and he couldn't do it because he missed the green, and then he obviously came up. I mean, it just it, – it, watching the guy melt down – Made me feel bad. Then I was I was rooting for Justin Thomas because you know uh, I like the fact that he's the son of a PGA professional, that he's the grandson of a PGA professional, and uh, I like Will Salatoris too. I was really happy with either way that would have gone. But uh, and man, Tiger, you know uh, he just can't go seventy two holes. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like well, if he was playing well, would he have kept going? I, um, it's a great question. Like, if he was in contention, absolutely. You know, but I mean, just the fact that he made the cut, I think, was, again, another miracle for, you know, I mean, people don't fully understand. Like, when you watch him read putts, do you notice now, like, you have enough baseball in your background, right? Tiger used to do the catcher stance, right? He cannot go into catcher stance right now with his body is currently built. He cannot do it. So right. he kind of has to stick a leg out and sort of, you know, and, and all that affects him. I mean, I love Tiger, and I, I can't wait to see him at the Open at St. Andrews. And, you know, I want him to keep running out there because I, I love the I love the history that he's had. But it's also sad to see him not be able to complete a whole tournament. Okay, uh, PT. Now, Josh and I are going through our, our, our the, the best college football road trips, you know, for this season. And we've been asking our listeners to text in a, a college football road trip they want to go on, one that they've been on, you know, something that they want to do college football this year. Have you had a college football game road trip that stands out? Um. In the past, or like the one that I've marked for this season, because I haven't, I haven't even looked through. No, like, no, 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 no. Have you stuff. been to one that stands out? Have you gone to a college football road trip game? Have you done one that that's your one? That's the one that's your best. Oh yeah, I mean the, the Orange Bowl in '94, and then the Fiesta Bowl in '95. I went back to back years. I was at the national championship game. And uh, both of those, the Orange Bowl in 94 was in Miami, and that's when Nebraska finally won their first national championship by beating Frank Costa, I think was the Miami quarterback at the time. And then in 95, they went to the Fiesta Bowl, and they beat up on Danny Werfel, and that's uh, and they blew him out, too. I mean, and that, that was uh, like 52 to... 52 to 14 or something like that. That was Tommy Frazier. That was the, you know, that 95 Nebraska team, I still maintain, could have beat the Lions that year. I mean, I think they were that good. So, you know, both of those road trips were memorable for me to be at both national. Like, to say that I saw a college football game in the old Orange Bowl, that's pretty cool. To say that I was at the Fiesta Bowl in what now is just, I guess, Arizona State's stadium, right? It's not, you know, nobody else plays there, but that's where Pat Tillman played. 
That's where Jake Plummer played, right? Yeah, no, these are some good ones, PT. You're, you're, you're on point right now. I mean, not bad for sitting in my car at an establishment in Shemong. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you partaken in this establishment in Shemong? No, man, I got to pilot the ship here. Plus, I'm going to the Medford Village Country Club is where I'm going for one of those Jersey Man events. Uh, Billy is roped me in, so uh, I actually have, I pity the people that have no idea what's coming. Me and Billy at the same function. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, you've got, uh, yeah, th- those are some good ones. The old Orange Bowl, I didn't know you were there. I, I figured you were at a game in uh, Nebraska, but... Yeah, oh, I've been a, a bunch of games in Nebraska. In fact, somebody the other day said something about, oh, when it was so hot, a guy said something to me about almost getting heat stroke. He said he interviewed Brett Butler one time on the field at the vet, and he almost got heat stroke from the turf. And I wrote back and said, I've got something like that. I interviewed Terry Bradshaw before Nebraska-Louisiana Tech at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln on the old turf. And I know I got heat stroke because in the middle of the first quarter when I was way upstairs on top of the press box, they heard a thud. That was me passing out. (laughs) (laughs) The guy from the CBS station was like, holy crap, what happened to you? And I'm like, what happened? Did did you trip me? He's like, you were standing one moment and then you were on the ground. (laughs) That's good. All right. All right. There you go. Yeah, All right, PT. He was up there cooking on top of the press box. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, Tuesday with Thompson. Pete Thompson here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. He'll be back for Happy Hour Friday. Now, Happy Hour Friday last week, you got just completely upstaged, man. Yeah, Todd did a nice job. From what I hear. I was at the Who. I mean, forget about it. I, I had a great time visiting with you on Thursday, and then I had to go see them. I even texted you that they were playing the sneaker for you. I know. I got it. But they did not play squeeze box for me. Ah. Very disappointing. All right. Well, I'll talk to you then. <laughs> All right. Talk to, talk to you Friday. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Pete Thompson, NBC, uh, NBC 40, former NBC 40 sports director, and uh, Tuesday with Thompson here. On the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. We've got uh, plenty more. As we come back, we'll close out the college football schedule. The trips we want to go to. All right. So stick around for that. And then while you're out there listening, text us 609-403-0973-609-403-0973. Text us. College football game you want to go to, one that you've been to, a road trip you'd like to go on. It's a good one. Montana State at Montana in Missoula. Great pregame, great game, and great postgame. Downtown Missoula. I would, you know what? I would love to go to a Montana game. That's all. That would be on my list. More sports bash coming up. Now, back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 532, 100 days to the college football season begins. We've been looking at all the matchups we'd like to take a road trip to for each week of the season. You guys can play along, tell us games you've been to, you want to go to, college football experiences you've had. We're giving you places and games you might want to think about going to this year. I don't know. Uh, you know, a little road trip. 
So we did a bunch of the schedule earlier in the show. We'll jump back into the schedule now. I think we're at week nine. What was that, October? We're actually uh, week 12, November 19th. Week 12, November 19th. All right. Oh, yes, we were into the Maction time of the year. So you got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. None of those games are going to make the list. But Saturday slate's got a couple of ones that are interesting. Now, this is late in the year, so you don't have as many a conference games. So this brings a couple of uh, some interesting games here. But you do have Ole Miss at Arkansas. I know you don't care about Kentucky, so I'll skip that one. Georgia at Kentucky. Tennessee at South Carolina. You also have Washington State at Arizona. Oregon State at Arizona State. Stanford at Cal. That's a famous rivalry right there. Also, you got Utah at Oregon. USC versus UCLA at the Pasadena Bowl this year. But the one I'm going with is Bedlam. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma in Norman. I figured that was the one you were going to go to. That's on my list of ones that are certainly interesting. You definitely uh, would be intriguing there. You've also got, all right, so (laughs) you've got a couple spots here where you can kind of say, all right, you know, like I like to try to find places. Sometimes the bigger ones don't even interest me as much as these remote spots. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you get to go to a spot that isn't uh, one of the big major national places, like that guy texted in before about Montana, you know. Now they typically, uh, I don't think Montana is a div- Division One school, so it's they're FCS, not, right? They're not on the schedule that we're getting a chance to look at here. But uh, that being said, this would be another week where Colorado State is at Air Force. I think I'd like to try to check out a game at Air Force at the old USAF Academy in Colorado, Falcon Stadium. Right, speaking of the military academies, um, did you ever watch the original Top Gun movie? I did. You have any interest in the new one coming out this weekend? Didn't know there was a new one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> is it the same people playing the roles? Tom, Tom Cruise? Cruise is returning. Did not know that. Yeah, he's. Uh, well, you saw the original movie, so he's uh, he's actually the guy they bring in to teach Top Gun to the new recruits. Oh, okay. So Val Kilmer is he in it? No, but someone else you might know is in it. Miles Teller is one of the lead actors in it. Oh, how about that? Eagle oh, I, fan. I had him on the show. That's right. Okay. Figured you might remember that a little bit. <laughs> so that would be one that I certainly would be uh, recommending to people. If you get a chance, you got the uh, Colorado State against Air Force. Get into the Air Force Academy and uh, check out a game down there. You got Bedlam, though. I got Bedlam. There was a couple others here. I mean, I would like to go to Ames. I do, I do want to try to fit that in there. I haven't found a game that on this schedule this year that that grabbed me on the weekend yet that, right. uh, that that's going to move me yet. So um, I'll see if I can find one between now and the end of the season. I hear Ames <laughs> is a great spot to go. Although a lot of these little places that most people don't know much about, they're the places that you really want to go to. Now, this is an interesting weekend because it's the Thanksgiving area. You got the Egg Bowl. On Thursday, November 24th. Right. Then you got a couple Friday games, and then you have a full slate on Saturday. Right. So, for example, I would love to go to Egg Bowl someday. That's one of the craziest college football rivalries because it's it's two schools in super dinky college towns, 
and it's always some crazy stuff. Yeah, and this on. year the game's in Oxford, which if you're going to pick between one or the other, you probably want to go to Oxford. Yeah, you're going to want to go to Oxford. Yep. Then you got Florida, Florida State. That's on the Friday there. Nebraska, Iowa, which uh, I do. I did say earlier I want to try to get to a game at Iowa and check out that whole thing. You got NC State, North Carolina. So you got Arizona State, Arizona. You got Oregon, Oregon State. So you got a bunch of rivalry games on that Friday, and then right. you get into the Saturday slate with the Iron Bowl, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Kentucky, South Carolina, Clemson. I mean, this is a tough one. But I strategically said earlier in the show, Mike, I picked my Ohio State home game ahead of time. Give me the game. Michigan. That's this weekend. Ohio State. At Ohio State. So I'm not just getting one of the biggest rivalries. I'm getting the check mark on the Ohio State home game. Okay, because you also have Notre Dame USC this weekend at I the know. Coliseum. How many more games is that Coliseum going to be able to hold, right? Yeah, but it's like it's not really a college atmosphere. I got gotcha. you. It's not a great college atmosphere, but it's still, you know, something to uh, say, hey, got a chance to see it now. You got uh, some of the smaller games out there as well. Like Washington, Washington State, and Pullman sounds really cool, though. Oh, that would be one that would be very high on my list. Also, South Carolina Clemson should be very interesting this year because it's Spencer Rattler with that South Carolina team with the new head coach. And I do want to get to Camp Randall, so I might do a little uh, Minnesota-Wisconsin for the uh, little uh, jug there. Do the jump. Yep. So uh, that's another possibility. You also have um, now Michigan, Ohio State. If you can get to one of those games, you got to do it. I mean, you, you just you know. But as I mentioned, you got Auburn, Alabama. That game's in Tuscaloosa this year. Well, my thing is, I already went to Tuscaloosa earlier this year for Texas A and M, Alabama. That's right. So that's why I kind of checkmarked that one off. Yeah, and the Washington Washington State game that would be one that would be pretty high on my list of Definitely. things that I would want to do as well. All right, so we're navigating you through a couple more weeks left. In the college football season. Right. Then, of course, the following week, you've got conference all of the conference weekend. championship games. Now, of course, you have the Big 12 championship at AT&T Stadium, the SEC championship at the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Um, if I remember correctly, the Big 10 game is supposed to be in Indianapolis again Lucas this year. Oil. And then the ACC is supposed to be in Charlotte. Yep. So... Do you have a preference on a championship game? Well, I'd probably go Big 12 because I follow that conference a little closer. You know, and then I probably would say maybe Big 10 and then an SEC game. I'm a coin flip between the SEC and the Big 12 because of the stadiums. Yeah. Because I know how those schools fill those stadiums. And I would like to be in that environment. Now, this year, in week 15, you got Army-Navy. At the link. At the link this year. So you do have the Army-Navy game in Philadelphia for this season. So there you go. That's the uh, final week of the regular season, of course, uh, with the traditional game between Army and Navy. So there's a little navigation through the college football schedule 100 days away from the kickoff. Those are some 
atmospheres, games, places that you might want to get to. So if you guys have any out there uh, that you want to get to or that you've been to, let us know some of your favorite college football settings, games, buildings that uh, you've been to. You know, the guy who texted into Montana, those are the good ones, right? Like, who's thinking about going to Montana for a college football game? You're not going to get to do that, right? So if you're out there, you got to go to that game. Like, when I was at Yale last fall, they had a game at the Yale Bowl. Have you ever seen the Yale Bowl? I've seen it on TV. Right. I mean, to see that place in person, right? it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just this huge thing of grass and just a mausoleum of concrete. To go to a game there would be pretty cool, I would imagine. But the problem is there's nobody at those games. It's not like some great atmosphere. There's no like great right. tailgate. It's not, it's not your traditional, what we know of as a great college football atmosphere. Right. I mean, they don't got like this uh, great tailgate happening. Like even like we talk about Navy, like the stadium's really tiny. Navy's probably only sits about 35,000. Yeah, but I'm sure there's more juice in that building. Oh, there's no. I'm saying, but the tail, but there's tailgating going on. There's still like a buzz in the air, like the, 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 when there's a football game day. Right, you're walking around the Yale campus the day of a football game. Nobody even knows there's a game happening. <laughs> the stadium's out in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. Yeah. That's true. So it's places like that where I was on the campus the day of a game. I probably could have gone. I just you know was like, hey, you know. Um, Mike and Josh, the 1962 Army Navy game at Municipal Stadium. My friend Joe. At a 59-yard line tick, we watched the Roger Stallback run all over Army and President JFK took his walk to the opposite side of the field at halftime, and a man ran up arm's length to the president right through the line. Uh, Secret Service, we were all in shock. I think Army-Navy is the best <laughs> college football game, especially uh, in Philly, being a U.S. Marine. You know, I usually root for Navy. Salute, Tom, from Margie. Well, you're getting that game in Philadelphia yep. again this year. Now, I have been to an Army-Navy game, but it was in uh, the Meadowlands. A little different. It is. It is a little, uh, little different. You know, it was in Baltimore for a little while there. Then it, back in Philly. Yep. You know, I was, um, I was at the game. Oh man, when I was, uh, I had to be 13, 12, 13, 14 years old when I went to that game. So it's been a while. I mean, it wasn't like it was memorable in terms of like tailgating and anything like that but the place was you know pretty electric you could feel it in there so those are some of the college football uh games that uh we want to see this year and you guys have been texting yours in throughout the day we appreciate that if you have more you want to text in one that you've been to one that you want to go to 609-403-0973-609-403-0973 some quick phillies news for you here uh the phillies and zach eflin have agreed to a new one-year contract with a mutual option for 2023. So Eflin, who pitched very well last night, by the way. No, not last night. That was Wheeler last night. Eflin pitched two uh, against the Dodgers on Sunday, had 12 strikeouts in the game. Uh, he gets a new contract with the Phillies. So there you go. Congratulations to Eflin. Phillies tonight. We told you it's Gibson and Freed, the pitching matchup there. How do you feel about the contract? You're like, oh, whatever? Or? Uh, I'm trying to read if they have any details in here. They doesn't look like they have the details of the contract. But one year, uh, mutual option for 2023. I like Eflin. I mean, he's, I'd like it better if he was your fourth or fifth. Right, not your third. Right. Which he's kind of 
And depending on where Gibson is, you know, some nights Gibson is a three, some nights he's a four. They kind of go back and forth. The Phillies pitching, starting pitching has been fine. Yeah, the pitching hasn't been the problem per se. It was the fact that when Bryce Harper was out those five games, he averaged 1.6 runs per game. Yeah. Since he came back, they're averaging five runs per game. You know, when you're off, when your pitching staff is only allowing a couple runs here and there, you would hope the offense would pick it up a little bit. All right, we'll wrap up the show. We've got game night tonight. Kevin Durso on game night tonight. We'll talk a little bit about what the Flyers offseason's about to look like. Because that is going to be here very shortly. They're interviewing coaches. Who's the favorite? Durso tonight at 620 here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the spree ESPN. All right, get ready to wrap up the show. So I saw this a little while ago uh, from our friends at Believe. They asked this question. You have a button that, if pressed, guarantees your favorite sports team a championship next season. It can only be pressed once, and once pressed, that team will never win another title in your lifetime after next year. Do you press it? Yes. You win the title now, get it out of the way, and then go through misery. Because it's not the whole city. It's just one team. Right. It's, so hey, if you're a Philly sports fan, you press the button for one team. Flyers. Chance, the other three have a chance. Flyers, Sixers, who do Flyers. you get? You go Flyers. Because I believe the Sixers will eventually figure it out. I've seen the Phillies <laughs> figure it out. I've seen the Eagles figure it out. Wow. I mean, at least seen the like the Flyers have been the one Stanley Cup final in twenty some years. This franchise has become an embarrassment. Um. So, if you could pick the one team, oh, it'd be West Virginia something. <laughs> Football, probably. Not basketball? No, because, and I'll tell you why. I think in basketball, it's more likely that a peripheral team could win. Okay. Football, there's no shot that right. a team on the tier of West Virginia is winning it. Gotcha. I don't think so. Do you? No, I tend to agree with you, especially considering who their recruiting classes are and stuff like that. Like, I think they had a shot to win a national championship in 07. Uh, what was that, Pat White? When they lost to Pitt 13-9, that freaking game. <laughs> I just I go with the Flyers for Philadelphia sports because I feel like they're the one team I have the least confidence in. Yeah, but I think hockey's also a little bit more wide open. Like a, well, a, a it's middle supposed to be, but apparently the Flyers keep shooting themselves right, in the but, face. But they have been a middle tier team. So like a middle tier, like an eight, a seven, a six. They don't have those seedings anymore. But a, a, those te- like the hot goalie can get you there. Sure, and that's what happened in 2010. You know, they got the hot play. The problem is that they've gotten nothing hot ever since. Yeah. Well. That's why I go college football. Um, I go college football because I don't think a college football team could just randomly out of the blue sky win a national championship. It just unless they open up the playoffs to more teams, and you know you get to that level. Sure. Now NCAA college basketball feel is sixty four. I mean Texas Tech was in it two years ago. Correct. And they're no better than we are. 
But I would say here would be the frustrating part because I love the tournament. If I press that button to win that national championship, I know the rest of my tournaments are going to be ending the same way that all the other ones did. That that's a that's a very Look, prudent. I could say this. I could die knowing that my college basketball team was in a Final Four. And let me tell you, when I went to West Virginia in 1995, there was no way in any hell I ever thought I would see the West Virginia basketball team play in a Final Four. So the fact that they were in a Final Four almost feels like they won a championship that year. They lost to Duke. Jeez. Was it Duke or Kentucky? Ooh, you put it that way, it's practically impressive. That was awesome. That was the year that uh, the West Virginia the kid who was their best player towards ACL and Huggins was hugging him on the court. Remember that? I sat the visual on my head. Got his head... Yeah, I mean, it was... Getting in the Final Four was pretty unbelievable. And the football team has been in the BCS multiple times. But not the BCS National Championship game. Right. So there was a run there where it was pretty close. But I would push that button, and it would be for West Virginia football. To win the National Championship. You're going Flyers? I'm going Flyers. We can expand on that tomorrow. Got game night up next. Speaking of the Flyers, Kevin Durso is on the show. Coming up next at 620 here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh has game night. I'm back tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Tuesday.